kitties. Just your old pal, the Crypt Keeper, having a little holiday fun. Why else would I be in this getup? Unless there was a clause in my contract. <laughs> in fact, I've got some Christmas goose for you. Goosebumps, that is. Yes, indeedy. A little terror tale chock full of holiday fear. I mean, cheer, of course. So, you're the gander of a yuletide yelp yarn that goes a little something like this. Twas the night before Christmas, and all through the house. Santa Claus has a rocket sleigh getting ready to zoom away on his first trip into space. In his pressurized suit with the fur along the border and a long white bearded helmet made just to order, he'll take the Christmas spirit in every place. His eight reindeer will travel by jet. They'll go farther than they've ever gone yet with the space age Santa, space age Santa Claus. Stir up eggnog in the Milky Way To fill the dippers for the holiday Welcome to episode 62 of The Bloody Pit. I am Rod Barnett, and with me tonight are... John Hudson. And... Troy Gwynn. Don't, don't step on that. Uh, no, I stepped on your and. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't... Yes, I stepped on a... So next, step, next I'll be stepping on your these and your... You're so <laughs> egotistical, you cannot wait to say your own name. I know, man. I love the, I love the, I love the roundness, the firmness of my name. It's a very it woody yeah, name. It's a very woody name. Oh, yes. It has a, it has a burnt umber aftertaste. <laughs> Not a tinny name like Rod. <laughs> no one would want to be named that. <laughs> Too trebly now. <laughs> oh, we're hey, really down back the treble off. on that name. Okay, okay, we're off to a crappy right. start. Yes, people, thank you for joining us for this episode. This is our annual holiday horrors episode for 2017. Lo, a year of mixed good and bad, to say the least. Mm -hmm. And uh, we are here tonight to do something a little different, even for the Holiday Horrors episode. Uh, I let Mr. Hudson and Mr. Gwen choose this because, well, it uh, takes the pressure off me and I can take a nap. But they did something out of the ordinary, a little out of the box this year. And what we have is instead of a specific holiday movie, they've picked a specific holiday tale of which we have two different versions that have been put on film over the years. One in the 70s and one in the 80s. And I think that when we compare and contrast those two, those specific decades and their tonal differences will play heavily into our discussion. We're, of course, talking about the Mr. Magoo's Christmas Carol (laughs) and Scrooge. 
No. <laughs> As you might have been able to tell from the name of the file on this episode, uh, we are talking about the, uh, one would call it usually a Tales from the Crypt uh, story, but it was actually originally published in the Vault of Horror. Number 35. In uh, 1950, from what I remember. 53. Yeah. 53? I thought yep. it was 1950. Well, I, 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 could be, I could no. be wrong. Oh, well. I think probably fifty three is right. I did not write that down. Mm. Okay. I did, but I could have. I could have. I could have misread that. I so either way, fifties. Yeah, fifties. We we got. Yeah, fifties. We know it's 50s. the early fifties. Yes, yes. While we were all suffering in Korea. <laughs> oh no! Wait, we weren't even alive. That's right. Anyway, so the name of the story is "And All Through the House," which I keep misspeaking mis- and saying "All Through the House." Mm-hmm. Just kind of chopping the once again chopping stepping on the end. I, I know, it's, and I didn't even step you. That's an, I can't take blame for that. I didn't step on the end. It's going to be a recurring thing in this yeah. episode. We're just going to screw around with the word "and," aren't we? We're just I'll protect it. "and." You come, protect "and." Come here, little buddy. I <laughs> mean, it's such a useful word, but uh, it brings us all together. <laughs> brings us all together. <laughs> so tonight we'll be discussing the original. Um, is it an eight-page comic book story? I do believe by Johnny Craig. I don't know, you know, I don't I read it the modern way on YouTube, you know. <laughs> so I didn't I count the page. That yeah, that's actually re- really cool. This guy's taking yeah. all the EC stories and, and narrates yeah. them and it's actually really fun the way, the way he does, does it. Does he have a little beep where you should turn the page? You know, I wish. No, 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 I'd rather no, have that voice that I'd come on turn the page. Yeah. You know, that yeah. I will be actually publishing a link to that because I discovered that just today yeah. that I actually you can find uh, the uh, you can actually find uh, the issue uh, Vault of Horror number thirty five online and read it page by page online if you wish which is what i did unlike heathens who have to have it read to them I'm sorry, <laughs> Troy, no. but no no no. actually i will be posting up a link to uh that uh, fun little uh eight and a half minute long yeah. mm-hmm. reading of the uh you know panel by panel of the yeah. original story from uh from the ec comics and uh it's pretty it is pretty darn entertaining yeah. i'm gonna post it up on the blog and, and uh, let people get a get a look at that before the uh before the episode comes out but uh we'll 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 talk about that then we'll talk about the the first film adaptation, which was uh, folded into the Tales from the Crypt movie from 1972, mm-hmm. a film directed by Freddie Francis. Uh, it was actually, uh, I believe, the first story in that anthology movie mm-hmm. and uh, starred this ugly woman named Joan Collins. <laughs> yeah. I don't understand how she had a movie career. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> at any rate. And then uh, when um, HBO started their Tales from the Crypt television series in uh, the late 80s. Uh, this was e- uh, this, uh, they did another adaptation of this story, and it was either the first or the second episode. I've seen it listed both ways. Which I, I think that they did a 90-minute pilot movie. And it was, and this was definitely was one, one of the episodes. Of the it was a great, I mean, they kicked off with three of the best episodes yeah. they really ever did, because they also, The Man yeah. Who Was Death was also one of those, which yeah. is incredible. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there know. was Cutting Cards in there. The la- that, was that no, the Lance that was, Henriksen one? Or that was, was much that, later. That was, was much it? later, yeah. Was it the one with... Uh, Lance Henriksen is cutting cards. It's he and the uh, yeah. other great character actor. I'm getting that know. mixed up with something else now. Yeah, it's uh, gosh, I'm trying to remember what the third. I remember one that was. episode yeah. was great, but it was, but it, like they really totally. I mean, based on those three episodes, I was like, oh, this is going to be an incredible series because they really, they, they really picked up. Yeah, you know. it was good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. But the uh, the uh, night that was, so that was the version made in 1989. So uh, we were going to talk about uh, all three versions of it. But before we get to that, and before we uh, do anything else, first of all. I have no mail. I have no mail to uh, to read out to people, so that won't be a, a section at the end of this episode. And I'm I'm very sad about that because that means that no one 
loves me or you, Troy. I mean, mm. I don't want. I want to spread the lack of love around. <laughs> well, if I'm going to spread the love, uh, the lack. Well, of now, love. now this is a bloody pit. Now they, they, it's all between you and your audience. So if you, it's been silent, it's all reflects on you. Is all the me. fan mail going to Mark Maddox now? That's <laughs> <laughs> probably yeah. uh, Dear Mark, you are such a dreamboat. <laughs> you are so cool. Why do you put up with that Barnett bastard? <laughs> That may be part of it. I don't know. But remember that you can write to us at thebloodypit at gmail.com. We'll be glad to hear from you. I'm currently trying to uh, get my ducks in a row for next year for the various episodes. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mr. Hudson, I think that I'm going to try to get you to uh, sit down with me hopefully sometime near the end of January, early February, and to do our our next uh, Margariti episode, uh, Naked You Die. Uh, which is the film that started out as a Baba film, and then Baba mm-hmm. got another job, and mm. it became a Margariti film. So if we can if we can manage that in January, February, I think that would be good. I think we should be able to do that. But uh, the the big news is that Troy and I are going to start uh, the Nashi cast year of ni- of 2000, <laughs> 2018 off with a bang. Yeah, uh, we we've committed to doing uh, another Beyond Nashi episode for January, which is going to be the Ghost Galleon, mm-hmm. the third of the Blind Dead films. I think we're doing this a little bit because we're we're overly excited because Scream Factory has announced that they're going to be doing a Blu-ray of Night of the Seagulls, which comes out, uh, is it in February? February. Mm-hmm. So in January, Troy and I are going to put out an episode of Beyond Nashi covering the third Blind Dead film. And then the next month, you can just segue right into being able to actually watch a high-def, hopefully a beautiful high-def version of Night of the Seagulls, fingers crossed. Now, did they get the rights to all those Neil Diamond songs that were originally in the movie? Uh, you're getting, uh, yeah, he's, yes. He's, yeah. yes, yes, yes. <laughs> yes. Wasn't that the movie about the seagulls? <laughs> That's no. exactly. <laughs> oh. No. That's, oh my God. Oh, well, then I don't care about whatever you're talking about. (laughs) (laughs) Who cares about Blind Dead? <laughs> so I wish they had folded Jonathan Livingston Seagull into Night of the Seagulls. That would have been awesome. That would have been watch great. That. <laughs> I I I would not. As long wait, are there blind dead killing seagulls with swords? <laughs> then I'm gonna watch it. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. But at any rate, so in January, Troy and I will be covering uh over on the Nashcast will be covering Ghost Galleon. And then this is very exciting news. In February, on what will be the uh, anniversary month of the uh, Nashi cast, yeah, our, our, our very first, first. No, no, it'll be the eighth. Oh, we'll be the eighth. That's right. I yeah. can't believe that. Eight years. Eight years, really yeah, eight years we've been doing this, you know. But, but uh, for February, for the uh, anniver- eighth year anniversary um, month of release of the very first episode. We have finally gotten our hands on a fan-subbed version of a very hard-to-come-by Paul Nashie crime film from the 70s called Sequestro, mm-hmm. uh, which is a, it is, a, it is a crime film, and from what we understand, we, neither of us have watched it yet, mm-hmm. but uh, from what we understand, it is very much modeled on the, uh, the story of Patty Hearst. Mm-hmm. So this should be a very interesting movie. I do believe that uh, Nashie had a hand in the screenplay. Yeah. Which makes it more enticing. I mean, this is this is like you know, there's just a few Nashi films left we haven't found. But the ones that were really kind of still in our our top of wish list are ones where he not only is in it but also co-wrote it. This is one of those, and uh, boy, this will be the first actual Paul Nashi film that we've done been able to do in months, just because the the well just kind of dried up for a while there. You know, as far as anything that we hadn't already seen. So yeah, it's, it's very exciting here. Yeah, we're very lucky that uh, the fan subbing community has been hard at work. And they finally have uh, gotten uh, a copy of this film out there that uh, us us uh, English speakers can enjoy. Mm-hmm. 
So, Nashi Cast gets off to a one-two punch in January and February with a Beyond Nashi and an actual Paul Nashi film. This Paul Nashi film, that's right. one that we haven't seen before, which yeah. is. Boy, them's getting rarer than hen's teeth. Yes, ain't they? they are. Yes, they, <laughs> they are. They really are not hard. They're 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 a difficult thing to locate these days. The ones that we still have not been able to view. So that's exciting. Uh, I have promised Steve Stull- Sullivan that I will also get back to him, and we will do the second of the Peter Cushing Doctor Who films oh, cool. early in the year. Fingers crossed that might happen in January. Please, please, please. Uh, schedules schedules are a bitch, people. But. Before we get to that, and before we take a little break and slide into our discussion of this uh, little Vault of Horror slash Tales from the Crypt thing, I do have a a strange little Christmas question I'd like to put to my two co-hosts here. Something that had occurred to me just recently, and I thought that it might be fun to put it to you and see what your responses are. And it's very simple, and it's not not, uh, any kind of big surprise, but if Mm -hmm. you could have any single gift that you ever received as a kid... Mm-hmm. Back, we're not talking about having to spend money on it. We're not mm-hmm. talking about anything like that. Mm-hmm. But any gift, any toy or book or anything at all that you got when you were a kid on Christmas that you could have back, which one would it be? Hmm. Well, we have to take now. That. Now I can start. Yeah. Off, I can start off yes. to give you give time. Us a little time uh, to, yeah. to give you time, to, guys, yes, guys yes, time to think yes, about it you, because as soon as someone put this to me, I knew exactly what it would be, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and it would have been. And it shows my level of geekery. Real hard, boys. I would love to have, just as I received it on Christmas, my original $6 million man action figure. Yeah, yeah. I would love to have that back. It's the one that, you know, had the hole through the head so that you could look yeah. through yeah. his bionic oh, eye. Yeah, very, very and they had the memory. engine block that yes, I used the to pretend block. was a space probe. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, that is the when one. When you is, peel back, can you peel the yeah, skin you back peel back the arm and you can see the, yeah, see yeah, the you intricate see the, mechanics of how he works there. Or yeah. the little sticker that was yeah. stuck to the arm. That's what that was. Anyway, but that is exactly what I would have loved to, I would love to be able to have that the way I received it, the way it was sitting there for me on Christmas morning. That would be the one that I would just, oh, I'd go crazy to, to have that again. And I would never take it out of its package now. <laughs> never. Never take it out. Never. I would pose with selfies with it forever, but I would never take it out of its packaging. But that's the one that came to mind when this question was put to me. Mm-hmm. And so I thought, why not put it to you guys and see which one, if, you, if there's one that stood out for you. Well, you actually, I might have said the same thing that you said. Oh, really? Because I had one of those when I was a kid, too, and hadn't thought about it until you said it. Like, Man, I would like to have that. Yeah. Wouldn't it be great? Well, because the, the person who asked me this question, uh, one of the people responding to it, right off the bat, immediately said that what they would want was they had uh, Space 1999, um, one of the spacecrafts, oh, one, of the, yeah, the one space, of the Eagles. The Eagles yeah. One of the Eagles. Yeah. And I've got one of those, or maybe I do I mean I don't know if I do now. Mm-hmm. Huh? Now that I say that because I've just gone through a lot of stuff from you know getting married and things and right. I didn't find that. So that might be gone. Mm. Well but like I say, um if I'd ever had an eagle that might be what, that might mm-hmm. be what I yeah. wanted as well. But well I do know um the first two things that I thought of and I'm gonna cheat and make it two. Okay. But I had two of the model kits from Planet of the Apes when I was a kid. Mm. Oh, I mm. remember pictures of those. I don't ever. Yeah. I never yeah. had them. I just remember seeing yeah. the ads. And I would love yeah. to have those, which again, I would not even break the cellophane on the boxes now. Now these were model kits. These were things that you actually put together as a model. Yeah. So. Yeah. Did Did you put them together when you were a kid? I did. Didn't paint them. I couldn't mm. paint. 
Oh, yeah, I was yeah, a shitty was terrible player, at yeah. that. So whatever color it was, that's what it was. <laughs> <laughs> what color was it? Do you remember? I want to say or? one was beige and the other might have been gray, but it's been a long time. Ah, so Planet, Planet of the Apes model kits. I can see that. I really can. But that $6 million man in the Action box. Action figure? Yeah. That might past that. Mm-hmm. that Once was, you mentioned it, I thought that one would be tough to beat. That one's... I, I also I really had one like of the... Uh, I'm just going all down memory lane now. Go ahead, go ahead. I did have one of the Evil Knievel Snake River Canyon rockets that oh, you would throw really yeah, on. Man. And it would go down the hall. Yeah. And, yeah. I want all of those back. <laughs> well, see, I had, for, for a long time, the one that always came to mind when thinking about, you know, great Christmas gifts of my youth, it was always for a long time the Evil Knievel motorcycle. Mm-hmm. The uh, the one, you know, with the, the, the pull, the plastic pull thing that, yeah. I mean, it really revved up and that thing... That thing lasted forever. That that I, I I swear that that little motorcycle bashed itself into so many walls <laughs> because of my my inopportune um, revving it toward you know inanimate objects and you know walls and bricks and car tires and whatever else was around. But uh, I would uh, I would give that up to have the six million dollar man figure back. I really yeah. would. So cool. All right. Well, for me, I think it would have to be the um, the GI Joe space capsule. Do you guys remember? Remember that the uh, oh. the, uh, the the that came the GI yeah. Joe that was the yeah. space capsule you could put them in there that was a uh, got that that was a uh, that that was pretty awesome that was pretty I neat. never had that I had a cousin uh-huh. an older cousin he was older by a couple of years and he had that yeah we had the you know I had the, we had the space suit put the GI Joe in yeah. the space helmet and put him in the capsule there and uh, me and me and my older brother loved that uh, that was pretty awesome so yeah that, that's uh probably for things specifically that I got on Christmas that were toys and you know that that's probably you know overall toys when I think of well is is the thing I went back weren't, weren't really toys and the reason I don't have them anymore is because I used them as toys which was the the Aurora models you know yeah. the Aurora models because <laughs> especially the Godzilla ones you know but I don't think I, I don't know if I ever got any of those for Christmas those almost seem like these I think that my dad would bring those home and we'd put them together. Uh, well, well, rather my older brother put them together and I'd sit and watch, you know, because I, would, I, did, I did not need to be let near those, you know. But uh, then my mom would paint them really cool for us. And I had the whole whole row stand up there for a while. But, of course, you know, being a kid and there weren't any actual monster figures or action figures at that time or Godzilla figures. And so I would make them actually fight each other and all that. And eventually, they, you know, pieces break off and, you know, they yeah, just eventually oh, yeah. go to shit. But, but no, as far as actual Christmas gifts received on Christmas morning, I would have to say that G.I. Joe capsule was pretty awesome. Uh, that's cool. That's cool. I, I would not have thought of uh, would not have mm. thought of either of the choices you you fellows made. That's uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, folks, if you have something like that, I was gonna say if you've got those sitting in your attic and yeah, they're, we'll and they're, and they're in the box unopened, uh, uh, just uh, please <laughs> Back, send them to. I'll pay the postage if you we'll want to ship that. I'll right. pick that up. I'll do you do exactly. you a solid and yeah. send you the postage for those. Ah, <laughs> uh, the greed knows no bounds. It's truly <laughs> Christmas time. It so is, it is. <laughs> Okay, folks, uh, hold on one second. Uh, we're going to take a quick break, and then we will come back and discuss and all, all through, through the, the night. night. All through the house. And the, oh, no, I'm sorry. The night. And oh. all through the house. And all through the night. Jeez, Christ. <laughs> what, is that a Def Leppard song? <laughs> Am I that lame? All through the night. Isn't that a Cindy Lauper song? I, let's... I don't know how is that less lame. I don't know. It, there's, anyway. an old, there's an old Christmas song called that, so we'll give you a, cut you a little bit of slack on thank, this. But speaking of Def Leppard, <laughs> I saw it. Wait, no, no, no. You're, you're going to take great, us into Def Leppard territory? It's a great. Yeah. I think it may have been The Onion. It's one of those things that pop up on your Facebook feed and you don't know how, but the headline mm-hmm. was Cocky Def Leppard drummer amputates other arm just to show he can. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, wow. <laughs> Ooh. 
There's a Christmas thought for you folks. <laughs> Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. <laughs> All right. We'll be back in just a moment. <laughs> I am Dr. Lee Cushing. Welcome to my Chamber of Horrors. Dr. Cushing's Chamber of Horrors is a serialized monster rally novel in the tradition of the classic Universal and Hammer horror films. It's written by Stephen D. Sullivan, the award-winning author of White Zombie, Daikaiju Attack, Manos, The Hands of Fate, and the original chill role-playing game. My goal is to recreate the thrills of the Monster vs. Monster films that we all love. We'll have vampires, werewolves, mummies, psychic twins, and scheming madmen. And that's just in the first storyline. Now you can get Dr. Cushing's Chamber of Horrors and other monster stories sent directly to your email for as little as a dollar a month. For just two dollars, you'll get all the chapters in advance, plus bonus stories and other perks. Sign up now at CushingHorrors.com or visit SDSullivan.com for a Patreon link. I do hope you've enjoyed your visit. Please come again and remember... The chamber is always waiting for its next victim. Hello, Christopher. What insanity are you up to today? Oh, hey, Lydia. I'm downloading some movies. What? People are always telling me that's illegal. Uh Uh-uh, not these. They're all public domain. Oh, look, rescue from Gilligan's Island. Let me see what you're doing. Oh, you're at archive.org. Well, they have thousands of films, TV shows, commercials, radio shows, and books available. Yeah, but there are so many. I wish there's a podcast or something that would discuss these things. You know, give us an idea of what's worth the time. Um, Christopher, there is. We do one. <laughs> oh, that's right. We host Orphan Entertainment. Once a month, we pick something and review and discuss it. That sure is nice of us. <laughs> sure. Why don't you click over to Orphan Entertainment and remind yourself a little more about the show. Oh, will do. Let's see, that's at orphanentertainment.com. And yeah, it looks like we're available on iTunes and Stitcher Radio. Oh, hey, can we review the Gilligan's Island movie someday? Mm-hmm. We'll see, Christopher. We'll see. We interrupt this program for a special announcement. A man described as a homicidal maniac has escaped from the hospital for the criminally insane. He is six foot three inches tall, 210 pounds, dark eyes, bald, and may be wearing a Santa Claus costume taken from a shop in Burley. All residents of the county are warned to be on the lookout for this man and to phone the police if they see him. We now continue our program of carols for Christmas Eve. And all through the house, not a creature was... I'm not going to do the thing. Uh, Tonight, we are going to be talking about... uh, I guess three different versions of and all through the house. There's the original comic book series, mm-hmm. uh, or I'm sorry, comic book story mm-hmm. uh, done in Vault of Horror number 35 in the early 50s. I'm going to go with 1953 because that makes well, that sense. That sounds more right. 50 sounds early, but okay. I'm, I don't know. I'm no expert. Well, I mean, it makes, makes sense. I mean, the EC comic started in 1949 <laughs> or 1950. 
right? And yeah, this wouldn't have right. been right at the very yeah, beginning. Yeah, it's, yeah. Issue, it's issue 35, so yeah. it makes sense that it's mm-hmm. 1953. So, but like I said, I, I kept seeing both mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. dates. Sure. And uh, so anyway, um, this story written and drawn, I am told, by Johnny Craig, who was uh, an excellent artist who worked for uh, EC and a number of other comic book companies uh, at the time, and a very talented man. I wasn't. It wasn't until we started doing research for this that I realized that uh, uh, he not only did he do the art, but that he did write the story yeah. as well. Yeah, and then is you know you when you see his artwork, of course you automatically associate it with EC, and then you know he did a lot of the work. But I'd say he's probably. Maybe one of the less celebrated names of the great stable yeah, of is. artists for you know, and then yeah, really his style is as as purely EC as any as anyone you know. But when you compare him to the kind of the the fame that like Jack Davis and and Graham Ingalls and Wally Wood have and all that, you guys, I don't think his name is near as as well known. Not as much. And I think part of it's like with Jack Davis and Wally Wood and um, like Al Williams, and they all went on to yeah. stuff later. Yeah. And kind of became known for known, like associating with later things. Yeah, you know, and of course later. everybody loves their EC stuff too. Yeah, I don't think he ever really did, and that may be part of why his name isn't as celebrated. But he's mm-hmm. just as good. Yeah, You're right. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And if this was uh, an original story that he came up with, it's a it's a damned fun and entertaining oh, it one. Is. Uh, there's nothing more fun to me than watching the Christmas holiday be perverted, <laughs> uproariously nastily. <laughs> Where you have like an axe through somebody's head, or, or like 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 last year, you have somebody who's set off because they watched their wife, their mm-hmm. mother get mm-hmm. raped and murdered on Christmas by Santa Claus. I mean, that's going to leave a scar, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, right. this story is kind of, especially for EC, a typical revenge story. A kind of bizarre, the fates are going to turn against you if you do evil things mm-hmm. kind of story. Mm-hmm. Uh, set on Christmas Eve. With enough uh, interesting twists and turns that even though there are, have been two adaptations that play with the details, the story is exactly the same. Yeah, the later two versions, as we'll see, take all the ideas here and in some cases expand and do little twists on them, you know, that mm-hmm. sort of thing, you know. But uh, but essentially, the basic elements are all in this story. True. And uh, the story as it is, is uh, on Christmas Eve. In a house, uh, a nice residential house, uh, somewhere kind of on the outskirts of some city. It's never very, it's never specified in the comic. We have a husband and wife. They've put their daughter to bed. The wife has a plan. She uh, carefully sneaks up behind her husband and kills him. Now, depending on the story, she uh, uh, depending on which version of the mm. story uh, in in the comic book story. Uh, she whacks him with a, 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 a fireplace poker, mm-hmm. an element that is retained in one of the stories. And then we see that she has very carefully planned this out. Because both of the stories. I, think, it? I think it's a yeah. poker and all. I think it's all this. Yeah. Oh, it is always yes, a poker. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. It's later on in the later first story we'll where see she buries the axe. Yeah, yeah, right, exactly. Yeah. The, yeah. So uh, I always get uh, with Johnny Craig. There's something about axes and heads. It's a, re- it's a reoccurring motif in, jo- in Johnny in Johnny Craig's artwork. I've noticed mainly because I have a T-shirt with some yeah, of his artwork right. on it. Yeah, <laughs> that is that is someone screaming and an axe coming towards their head. So <clears throat> that's why Rod gets all the gold. That's right. That's right. <laughs> it's so true. <laughs> but uh, she has uh, a fantastic plan to kill her husband, do away with his body on Christmas Eve, and then collect the insurance money. Hmm. Now, one might see a flaw in this plan if you think too hard about it, because if his body just disappears on her, as it would appear as her plan in the original story, 
she's going to have to wait seven years for him to be declared dead. Right. And this is another thing that the later versions kind of address is this, mm-hmm. this yes. little bit of like, you know, to have to kind of flesh out exactly kind of more of like what her plan is. Because you're right, it seems a little, doesn't really seem to hinge on a whole lot of good, of yeah. good I mean, she's, plan, she's, planning here. She's planned very effectively in the original comic book story to do away with her husband and have his body not be found. She mm-hmm. has a plan. It's yeah. it's stressed that she's nailed this down. She's got all night to take care of the to, to take care of the body and get and get rid of all the evidence, which is great. Mm-hmm. But she's immediately opening the wall safe and looking at mm-hmm. the last will and testament. Mm-hmm. And you know you have to have a corpus delecti <laughs> yeah. for that will to reach probate. So mm-hmm. or, I want to remember. Or you're going to have to wait a damn long time. A damn before, long time <laughs> before he's been declared legally dead. Yeah, you're going to be well out of funds and working as a as a low paid secretary long before that money is in your hands. So, given that mm-hmm. she kills her husband and then while she's going about her business and making sure that her daughter mm. stays in bed because of course it's Christmas Eve the daughter is extraordinarily excited, excited visions because of sugar plums dancing in her head <laughs> and vi- visions of Santa uh, Claus coming <laughs> to give her gifts we can't wait to get that six million dollar man <laughs> that's right <laughs> that Joe Space Capsule I just a little girl she's going to get the bionic woman beauty salon <laughs> <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> yes in 1953 well, that's the only reason the bionic woman was given you know those, those powers is so she could she could comb her hair a lot quicker but yeah. her hair a lot Quicker, yeah. put on her makeup and da- half the time. That hundred you know. strokes at yeah. night. <laughs> Are we really gonna play sexist? No, dude, games. people people know we're 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 playing. Let's hey, it was it. a real toy. <laughs> yeah, it was a real toy. I know, and nobody batted an eye at that point. It's like, yeah, it makes total sense. It makes yeah. total sense. Exactly. None, Six million dollar man fights Maskatron. Jamie Summers <laughs> goes to the goes beauty, to beauty shop. <laughs> None of us, none of us boys, were like, you know, hey, how come I don't get a six million dollar man shaving mirror? Now? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. None, none, of, none of us were caring about that kind of crap. Uh, I want uh, a cologne. I, I want a, cologne. I want a Steve Austin season four mustache comb. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Small aside, yeah. it is in season four where we have the six million dollar man version of a Christmas Carol. Oh my gosh, I forgot about your with, right. with Ray Walston. Ah, sure is. That wow. is true. Sorry, folks, I'm derailing the conversation. <laughs> Even worse. It's the bionic pit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's the bionic pit. <laughs> Welcome to episode 372 <laughs> as we're working our way through just the first season. No. Uh, <laughs> this is. Huh, I, I apologize. Back on track. Back on track. Mm. What we have here. Is the, this woman who's got her plan? She's going to do away with the man, do away with the body. She's just got to make sure that the daughter doesn't come downstairs and see all yeah. this. She seems to have this fairly well under control. And then she turns on the radio, starts singing Jingle Bells because uh, Christmas mm-hmm. music is a plan. Mm-hmm. And lo and behold, we get a news flash that a crazy man has escaped <laughs> from the local lunatic asylum and is is responsible for a few murders and is. Currently out and about, stay in your home, don't go anywhere. Oh, by the way, we think he's probably dressed in a Santa Claus outfit, and he likes to kill people with an axe. So like I say, lock those doors. Make Merry, sure Christmas. Merry Christmas. Yeah. Back to the music. Yeah. <laughs> yes, back to the music. Exactly. <laughs> so this this gives her pause. This Here's makes Santa her... Claus is coming to town. That'd be great. That's the next one he plays. Yeah, anyway, go ahead. <laughs> this this gives this gives our murderous housewife pause, uh, and but she's like, eh, whatever. She's got her plan. Yeah. She's about to to put them into effect here and get rid of this body. When she realizes that, I'll be damned. 
the murderous lunatic with an axe and the Santa Claus outfit is outside her house and trying to get in. Mm. Things escalate from there, as you might expect. And uh, we're going to spoil this for you, folks. If you've seen... (laughs) There's one version of the story that is eight pages long. There's one version of the story that's 12 minutes long. And there's one version of the story that's 25 minutes long. We're not expecting you to put in a whole lot of time to watch... They all end the same. (laughs) Yeah, they all end the same way. Yeah. So here it is. We're going to spoil it. Uh, Eventually... Santa Claus does get in, and it is the little girl who thinks it's actually Santa who lets him in, and that's how the story ends. Aye! Yes. We got everyone, everyone out at home, play live. Everyone say, one, Aye. two, three. Aye! That's the, uh, yeah, the, the that's, EC ending there. That, yeah. that's, that's really, it was, like, it was like neutered wolves. Yeah. <laughs> no, that that's, was not very heartfelt. That's was really, that was how about really Yarg? Yeah, yeah that's if it had gone on, on a couple more panels, we could have got gasp joke. Gasp joke. Yeah. <laughs> Very true. <laughs> I like we just had like Mexican, Mexi- we just had like, you know, a Cinco de Mayo celebration. Oh man, this just gets weirder. Yeah. This is Christmas. Christmas. People. Christmas. I know. It's like, well, yes. Yeah, so, but you're right. That's, that's, that is, that is the, that is how they all end there with, mm-hmm. with a uh, little Carol, uh, yeah, 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 like clever name there, Carol, and all Christmas there. And yeah, the yeah, little girl. The, the, yeah, the little Carol girl's name the, is Carol. Yes, that's the Santa Ann. Uh, cracking good story, uh, a lot of good fun. Yes, and, and and a great little piece of, like I say, kind of your standard, um, odd, odd as it may sound, uh, morality play, which mm. is what a lot of the EC Comics stories ended up being. Uh, which is, you know, puts puts so much joy in my heart when you realize just how much trouble EC Comics got into because of yeah. all the, the gore and the yeah. violence and the blood. When if you read the stories, really, they're just they're extraordinarily conservative stories. Oh, yeah, yeah, bad yeah. things yeah. happen to people who yeah. do bad things. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is a typical story from that period, only set on Christmas Eve and with a, a, a madman, a six, a six mm. foot three, 210 pound madman with an mm. axe dressed as Santa Claus. Escape from the local home for the criminally insane. Yeah. Exactly. So. Like every, because every town has one, you know. Yeah. <laughs> 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 well, you have to have a lunatic yeah, asylum. I mean, come on, you know, where are you going to put your crazies, you know? If you've, go got a, if, you've got a ta- if you've got a town of 500 people. Yeah. 400 of them are easily lunatics. Yeah. And you've got to lock them up. Based on my dating history, that's probably true. (laughs) (laughs) So what you have there is an eight-page story or six-page story, I'm forgetting, that constitutes the solid bones of a really good narrative. And you can see why it's so tempting to, to do new versions of this story. And to be honest, I'm a little surprised that there hasn't been an attempt to um, do more kind of Tales from the Crypt style stuff um, and retell some of these stories. Do this one again as well as some of the others because, like I say, they're little morality plays. They uh, there's a, there's a lot of uh, of solid storytelling there. The narratives are strong. <clears throat> as with this story, one might make uh, one might make some. Uh, uh, choice edits in some of the some of the uh, the, the language used because uh, one thing I noticed is uh, is that uh, you could have chopped some of the you could, you could have chopped some of the narration down in the story just a little bit to make it a little a little less florid mm-hmm. but that's but that, part of the charm of these things yeah. as well well that's very much an EC touch I mean EC was heavy on the on the narration there was rarely ever a panel in an EC comic that didn't have yeah, yeah. there was always if it wasn't a dialogue it was always that that yeah. uh, balloon, not balloon, but the, the narration at the top. Yeah, yeah. Just yeah. Describing what 
what's going on. Although I will say one of the things I love about this story so much is the fact that the very, very first panel after the Vault Keeper's introduction is just the sound Bam. effect. <laughs> it's the sound effect of the poker coming over the head. That's the first thing you say, which I love. Yep. 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 <laughs> so, and, and one... A, yeah, go oh, ahead. go ahead. Yeah, no, no, no. I was going to say, one interesting thing about this story compared to the versions that were filmed is if I remember correctly, we don't see Santa until right. he gets in. The very last panel. It's, it's all great. just yeah. told through sounds yeah. outside and what she sees, but we don't see him outside stomping around. Yeah, sure. that's very interesting. That you're right. That's a really cool thing about that is is that he's just suggested the whole time to until the very end. And I think for for the I think for the comic book store that works really well. You know, that's actually kind of a neat touch. Yeah. I um, also love how in the uh, comic book story, she's not just like locking the door. She's boarding the windows. Yeah, she is. She's yeah, going tall <laughs> night of the living dead on it. Yeah. And it's like having, throwing, those, throwing, throwing every spare bit of board she can find up there. And, <laughs> and one of the things that I love, I love in the, uh, the original comic story, that it, it introduces that as soon as she has spotted the, the murderous lunatic outside the house, mm. uh, she, her plan kind of starts to go awry, and she starts to get really... So it's obviously affecting her in a, in, a, in a way that's jangling her nerves mm-hmm. because she knows damn good and well she needs to get the body out of the living rooms in case her daughter comes downstairs so she doesn't see her dead father. And at, at two points in the story, she's getting distracted by having to go and get, you know, wanting to go and get boards and board up the windows so this guy can't break in. Yeah. And then getting distracted by noises that are happening or something else. And then once again going, oh my God, I've got to eat the body out of the living room. <laughs> and, yeah. it's, and it's like, I, th- I thought that was a, a neat little mm. thing because he doesn't draw in the, in the, um, in the, in the dialogue or in the, uh, the, uh, the narration, he doesn't draw attention to it. But it, it, once it occurs that second time, it's very clear that what he's pointing <clears throat> out is that, yeah, we stress that this woman planned this very effectively, but now that things are, now that she's got a problem, it's all going to shit, and she can't really hold it together because she's got she's nervous and she's afraid, and she's starting to lose it in certain ways, which is kind of it's not played uh, for nuance or subtlety. But if you if you look into it, the second time you read the story, I think you mm-hmm. notice. I think he's trying to get across the fact that she's going to fuck this up now, even if the guy just went away and she didn't yeah. have this problem <laughs> at all. <laughs> yeah, this was this was going to jangle her nerves enough that she was going to fuck this up. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Um, considering these are morality plays, that doesn't seem that that far fetched. And and I also, there's not really any way I guess to get a definite, a definitive answer to this. But one thought I had about you know just how possibly not only how famous this tale is and how well it's done, but how influential it is. Because I I would really love to know if this is the first instance in pop popular culture of a killer Santa Claus of a Santa Claus and, and because that's a good question here's the thing one thing one reason it makes it really hard to research is there was so many horror comics around that time you know obviously the ECs are the celebrated ones but there was like so many yeah. horror comics you know who knows if somewhere earlier there was buried yeah. some story but I, I cannot think of any instance in a movie or, or, or a comic book where a homicidal maniac, a killer, was was Dressed just a Santa. It makes me wonder if this, in which case it is, if this is the first case, then you think about how many movies have been made with that, have played on that concept, how many horror movies there. Well, can you imagine the uproar if there'd been a killer Santa in the 40s? Yeah, right, in, in any kind I mean, of movie, yeah, exactly. in the early 50s. So. Yeah. Well, that's just it. I don't think that it would have been possible, really, to get that across in film. I don't even think that... Old Hollywood would have made would have made the attempt no, to no, do so uh, you know just even somebody dressing as Santa and doing evil yeah. things and if they did it would it would have to be incredibly circumspect they'd have to be so careful with yeah. what they did and uh, with like giving the audience a lot of 
a lot of information way up front to make mm. you realize that, you know, so that there's no way to even walk in on this narrative halfway through and, and mm. think that they were trying to portray Santa Claus as some kind of, you know, a child diddler or, <laughs> right. you know, pedophile. Yeah. In any I don't think way you or, could have done a film with no. Santa actually committing a crime. Probably the closest you could have done is if a guy had done something and then disguised himself as Santa after he got away. Yeah. yeah. You maybe could have got away with that, but that'd be about as close as you could. And, you know, that's why I'm thinking if it had if it happened at all before this, it would have to be in either a another pre-code comic or in pay maybe impossibly a crime novel of some kind, something mm-hmm. like that, a short crime short story or something. No, that's maybe. not it. That could Might be. have happened. There's no way to... You know, or a unless, pulp unless, story. Yeah, and unless somebody can point to, yeah, a pulp magazine story could have had something like that, but just curious to think about if this was the first, you know, because it's we've seen that so much and this may be the... They may be the first to have done it, possibly, so... My, from... From everything that I can see, and it's it's easy to it's easy to be wrong when you when you have such a vast wealth of like you say pre code oh, horror just, yeah, comics. I mean, so what, this, yeah. as far as I can tell, is the first. Mm-hmm. Uh, who knows? I'd love to get the opportunity to find out from you know from Johnny Craig if he ever got interviewed. You know where mm-hmm. the story came from. Mm-hmm. Who knows the the story idea may have been given mm-hmm. to him by 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 uh, by Gaines, the but mm-hmm. the publisher, and just said you know hey run with this or something, or it may have been his original idea. There's no way yeah. to know. Yeah. Without yeah. some kind of interview, and maybe there's something out there. If you have, if if we if we're talking to someone who's an EC Comics aficionado with a lot of background and information yeah. on this, hey, let us know. Yeah, yeah. If anybody or anybody who knows a lot about the old pulps, if they remember seeing something like that, you know, I'd love to yeah. find out. Yeah, it'd be great. So, what we have there is a story published in the early '50s that kind of sits there, and uh, of course, it's an EC comic, and so it's it's bad and evil. Mm-hmm. But then we mm-hmm. come to. Lo the behold, Roaring Seventies, yeah. The Roaring Seventies, and actually, it kind of got cranked up in the sixties, which is uh, you have all these British film companies mm. who are making money hand over fist, and everybody's trying to get into the game. And we have Abacus Films come along, mm. and uh, their stock in trade very quickly becomes the anthology horror film. They made quite a number of them. Uh, they've made their first one in 1964 with Doctor Terror's House of Horror. They didn't make another one for a few years, but then when they started. It was a while they kind of rode that horse until it dropped dead. They did. Mm-hmm. And in amongst these was a film they called Tales from the Crypt. Yes, Amicus Films actually went and paid money <laughs> yeah. to the owners of the EC Comics stories from the 50s, and they adapted a few of them into a film.
So the Freddie Francis directed 1972 Tales from the Crypt anthology film uh, has uh, five different stories adapted from uh, various and sundry uh, Tales from the Crypt issues and Vault of Horror issues. And it starts off with A Christmas Tale and All Through the Night. Starring House. House. Oh, God damn it. That's oh, twice. I can't do it. I can't. I can't remember. I can't remember the title of our episode. Got Lopper on the brain. I guess I'm just gonna. Uh, I don't have Lopper on the brain. That's like, saying, that's like saying I have Lover Boy on the brain. The answer is no. But never. then you'd have to have a headband. To hold that's it right. Yeah, so I'll like, hold it in. <laughs> love, love in every minute. Apparently, I'm gonna have to write the description of this show because Rod cannot get the freaking. I title. can't get the title right. The story is entitled "Queen of the Broken Hearts." Yeah. <laughs> Oh, that's our Valentine's Day episode. Yeah, it right. could be. Yeah, yeah. Not um, the new Reno cast. <laughs> Reno cast. <laughs> so, friends and neighbors, Troy, take over. Yes. Talk, talk to these people because clearly I'm I'm befouling myself. <laughs> well, let's talk about the awesomeness first of Freddie Francis, the director. Yes. yes. Fred, Fred, Freddie uh, not only was an awesome cinematographer, but did some uh, really good work as a director yes, too. He, uh, he uh, did Evil of Frankenstein. He did uh, Dr. Terror's House of Horrors, which is one of my probably my favorite Amicus film, actually. Yes, yeah, uh, I love that. The Skull is a close second. The Skull is awesome. Skull, skull is skull wonderful, is, yeah. Uh, he did my favorite, uh, not necessarily the best, but he did. it was my favorite, Christopher Lee Dracula, which was Dracula's Risen from the Grave. Ah, yeah. Um, also on possibly lesser notes, he did Trog. And, uh, yes, that, that, that and, is a lesser and, note. And, yeah. and Gurley. He did Gurley, you know, which, you know, hey, Speaking you, know, of lesser you should notes. always have that on your resume. And I like that movie. Yeah, of course you do. Of course you do. <laughs> no one no one in the room is shocked. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but Francis does some great work in this film, and it, and and some of his best is are things as the way he he films this this segment here, the mm-hmm. author of the house he, segment yes. is just he's he does some wonderful uh, things with framing and you know and, and and what he shows you what he doesn't show you it just tells the story very well a lot of it visually there's not a whole lot of dialogue in this similar to the similar to the original comic version. And luckily, he had uh, an actress who could pull this off. For all the jokes that I might want to make about Joan Collins, I mean, she's she was of course a beautiful woman, but she was also a very good actress. She knew what she was doing. She knew exactly how to present herself on screen, mm-hmm. and she knew that uh, one of the smartest moves I think she makes in this episode is that she does not wear a bra. <laughs> right. Uh, right. I do. Well, I do yeah. think this is. I do think this is maybe the most awesome Joan Collins ever looked, and she always looked pretty awesome. But I mm-hmm. think that she's no. really just amazing, and she plays this role great. Watching it, I was thinking to myself, did Joan Collins ever play a likable person? And the only thing that I came to mind was Star Trek. Episode. That was that was why it finally yeah, yeah, came, yeah. Was came to mind. I was like, yeah, she was Edith Keeler. But in Star Trek, uh, but uh, other than that, I was you know not that I've. I mean, she has a pretty extensive uh, filmography, and I really have to admit. I've not seen a whole lot of Joan Collins' films, but uh, but even like you know, every time I think about her, if she's not the out and out villainess, she's just not playing a very likable person, like an Empire of the Ants. I mean, uh-huh. you know, she's just sort of, sort of, yeah. kind of, sort of, kind of sympathetic, just because she's being chased by giant ants. But she's otherwise not really someone you come away like, well, I just love to go on vacation with that, you know, with that yeah. woman, you know. Well, I but think she... that I think that to a degree, <laughs> I think that to a degree, Joan Collins kind of got. She was so good at playing yeah, kind of nasty, mean spirited, or just duplicitous people that I can't. I think she kind of got typecast for that yeah. kind of role. Mm-hmm. And don't get me wrong; I mean, there's there are worse things to be typecast for, uh, and she's very good at it, which is wonderful. But yeah, man, I I I mean, I, I was not a, a person who watched those television soap operas, those right, not I mean, primetime yeah. soap operas yeah. that she you know made millions of dollars on in the eighties, but. Mm. 
Lord knows she wasn't playing a nice guy on that. <laughs> no, she wasn't. Well, I think part of it was her accent and the way she carried herself made her come across as sort of snobby. They just said yeah. English posh. She was yeah. like, kind of came across. She wasn't like accent. lovable English, right, like right. Davy Jones, for instance. I mean, <laughs> yeah, she right. came across as like us. You know, I'm mm-hmm. better than you. And, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's. I don't think they really, really tried to get her around that much. No, when they, no. She was making American films. Well, the the beauty of this is, that, as you might expect, she plays the murderous wife. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are introduced, to, and I think that there's some wonderful things about this, and I, that's the reason why I like talking about the differences in this, because yeah. I think that just in the casting alone, mm-hmm. the director or whoever who his casting director was did an excellent job, because right off the bat, the husband mm-hmm. is clearly a couple of decades older than mm-hmm. Joan yes. Collins. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So you see him very happily at the beginning. We're actually We actually spend a little bit of time, a minute or two, with the husband who has uh, bought his bought his wife this this gift, he's very happy about it. We see the note that he's he's written and putting on the gift and putting under the tree. And mm-hmm. and he's very sweet. He's a really like, nice yeah. guy. You can tell he really loves her. Yeah, he's so excited just to give her a present. Yeah, and so we see this guy, and just, like I say, just through casting, you realize okay, we're talking, mm-hmm. you know, we're talking maybe a woman that married this man for his money because clearly the house is well you know, he, he looks well off he's well dressed the house is well appointed so we're looking at a place i mean that's a how many houses you know got a white fireplace yeah <laughs> yeah so come on yeah so we're looking at probably a woman who married for money right so it's not much of a shock when that fireplace poker comes down on his head mm-hmm. and once again I love the way, you know, kind of the first thing really that you see. The first thing you see is a hand, you know, the poker poking the fireplace. Then you see the husband come in. We still haven't seen Joan Collins. We have in the in the framing story. But yeah. I love the way that Freddie Francis introduces her for the first time in this segment, you know, is is just you know, you don't see you see her hand with the poker poking the fireplace. Mm-hmm. Then all we see is just the husband doing what you guys have just talked about, you know, with him getting her gift ready, sets down with the paper, and then you just hear this thwack and the blood splatters the paper, and then, then we pan up and we see her for the first time. She's in with the murder weapon, which yeah, is just a, yeah, yeah. I love the way that's done. It, it, it's wonderfully done because your first shot of her is mm-hmm. seconds after she just murdered her yeah. husband. Mm-hmm. And tell me about the that's. I'm glad you mentioned you know the, the the husband because that's one of the things as we go on you know to talk about the different versions of him. Obviously, in the you know this comic book story, he's dead from the get go. Yeah, you see nothing a, of a him. Complete cipher. The only thing that would get any hint at all is there's one part where. In her thoughts or in the narration, it refers to him as a mouse, and and in EC terms, that says just about everything you need to know about the story because we that automatically tells us she's probably the classic EC gold digging harpy wife. Yeah. Doesn't really tell much else about what kind of person he was, other than just the fact that in her eyes he was weak. And, there, and there, therefore, she she squashed a rodent. She squashed yes, a pest. Yes. She did away with vermin. Yeah. Yeah. How many EC stories did we see that you know with the with the woman do that to the the meek and, and you know submissive mm-hmm. husband there? Yeah. And so that one word there kind of tells you what you need to know about him. And you're right. The second version, we got a husband who's obviously doting, very very nice guy, but very obviously older. Yeah. And so we kind of just infer from those visuals, probably married, we're right, probably married him for his money. So And his Christmas fez. And his Christmas, you got to love that fez there. He probably, you know, the, 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 the horror is that if he wore that all the time, maybe she was justified. Maybe that's justifiable. <laughs> 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 is, that, is that the traditional Christmas fez? Is that what that was? <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> if you were married to a Shriner, would it not marry, marry, drive you to <laughs> I would, yeah. I think I'd have to. <laughs> I'm, I'm just thinking that surely there are just very strange Christmas 
traditions that we're going to we're encounter not, yeah. across life. Actually, that hat probably came out of like a Christmas cracker or something. You know, that was probably maybe, surprising. Maybe so. <laughs> I'm just remembering there is this odd thing in the South, and if you don't live in the South, you won't understand this, but you will see these if you're in the South long enough during the Christmas season, and I can only refer to it as the traditional Christmas frogs, <laughs> which are frogs dressed up as Santa Claus. Usually in pairs, and there's no explanation for it. I keep waiting for the <laughs> yeah. traditional Christmas gecko, you know, or something like that. Just anything at all, because there's nothing about these amphibians that scream Christmas, and yet you will find them. Yeah. You will find them. If you walk into a Cracker Barrel, I don't recommend doing that, by the way. <laughs> you will see the traditional Christmas frogs, and you will wonder what the fuck is happening. Yeah, it's like they're, they're uh, if you ask me what animal would you least associate with Christmas, I probably would say a frog. <laughs> no, low on the list. You don't see a lot of frogs hopping around at Christmas time. <laughs> Christmas, I know. It's like... <laughs> <laughs> no, you don't. Look, the snow is littered with them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're falling out of the sky next to the snow. <laughs> yes, you go out in the Christmas morning, the snow is white and virgin pure, except for the frog tracks. <laughs> <laughs> Ribbit. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Ribbit. Oh, it must be Christmas. <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> we have Joan Collins. <laughs> <laughs> about this version of this story I love what it does the way it uses the music in this yes. it's so effective it's, and yeah. full, full disclosure yeah. here I actually really like the traditional Christmas carols you know I mean at Christmas obviously you know not all year round but I mean I do know people who <laughs> even people who like Christmas that you know are just like you know I can't stand those old Christmas carols but I actually depending on the versions I don't really care much for most modern interpretations of them but I really love just old classic Christmas carols uh, sometimes even that's kind of what what flips the switch on me during Christmas season that gets me in the Christmas mood is if I haven't just be out somewhere something and suddenly I hear you know one of those Christmas carols for the first time and, and then that may be what find, what kind of really gets me into that like yeah Christmas is coming that's cool you know yeah but this just shows how music and you know depending on how the context it's used. I hate to use a term like context, but I'm am an English major. Uh, but, <laughs> but, uh, I didn't say contextual though, so you can forgive me that contextualism. I didn't say that, but uh, I'll get to that. Don't worry. Yeah, but but because um, you know these these songs, you know these are so eerie coming over this that this radio that she that, she, that she's listening to. She's always listening to some yeah. British British program, you know, the choir, you know, singing. In a very pretty choral, yeah, proper, beautiful songs. But in this context, man, it just is so eerie. Plus, I think the sound. I think they even put a little extra echo in it there, mm-hmm. just to make them sound very ghostly and chilling. Yeah. So yeah. that's one of my favorite things about this episode. And they reference it brief, briefly, as we'll see in the HBO version. I think they, you know, just for a second there, but. Uh, uh, but here it just was really nice, especially for this way they're telling the story, because Francis really tells this story in a very much a slow burn kind of way. Mm-hmm. One thing that I love about it to go along with the audio mm-hmm. is this thing is lit just 
bright as day. Yeah. Yes. yes. It's not like your traditional horror film. There are almost no shadows at all. Mm-hmm. Everything is totally bright and mm-hmm. clear. And yeah, good point. And it's it's kind of off-putting in a way because you expect there to be something lurking in the shadows, yeah. but there aren't any shadows. Mm-hmm. No, no, no. Yeah, it's it's very bright. It's, it's I won't put it quite in this category, but there's a certain type of lighting that's that, that is generally shorthanded as TV set lighting. Yeah, like Universal. 70s lighting like the yeah. six million dollar man and Columbo yeah. and where there are no shadows it's yeah. over it's it's not a, it's not overlit it's just it's lit in a way that you can see literally everything and there's absolutely no opportunity for shadow to be cast on any object in the room so no matter how you know how you're setting up your shot as a as a as a director you're not having to worry about taking into account a shadow falling across something that you need in the shot. So they just light the shit out of it. And that's the way this is shot mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. Which I didn't really notice. You know, I've, I've seen this. I've seen the Tales from the Crypt movie. Oh, God. I don't know how many times. Yeah, Seven or eight too. times. Yeah. Ten yeah. or twelve times uh-huh. over the course of my life. Mm-hmm. And that's just the standard lighting um, procedure at the time. It's just exactly what I expected. So I didn't take... Mm-hmm. I, I didn't think that much about it. But then... The beauty of it is, and you're right about the lighting, <clears throat> one of the things that that adds to it is then once she is looking out the windows, yeah, the windows are dark. It's dark outside. Snow is falling. Mm-hmm. And you're in this bright place with the Christmas tree and the fireplace. And like I say, that, that weird white fireplace, yeah. which just screams <laughs> we've got too goddamn much money. <laughs> and the contrast between... The bright interior and the dark, creepy, increasingly creepy exterior just points to, and I warned you we would get to this, <laughs> some of the ideas, which is that even though the real evil that we've witnessed in this story takes place inside, in this mm-hmm. bright place, mm-hmm. the the even darker evil, the, the, the kind of, shall we say, chaotic evil... Mm-hmm starts to creep in from outside. It's trying to push its way in from the outside. It's the dark outside trying to push into the light that's inside. Mm -hmm. But both are evil. This woman is very calculated, Mm -hmm. very careful, very much has a plan put in place, unlike what we see in the original story. Here's a nice way. She has a way of doing this Mm -hmm. that's going to make it look like an accident. Mm -hmm. That her husband fell down the stairs into the basement and hit his head and killed Mm -hmm. himself. She's got it doped out. Yeah, I I always look to Joan Collins when you need to to know how to (laughs) yeah how how to plan a murder. Yeah, she knew exactly how to plan a murder. Feed him to the ants. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, I thought the same thing that her plan actually made perfect sense. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. The only flaw in it was having him fall on that bright white rug (laughs) and bleed all over it. (laughs) (laughs) Which which (laughs) yes. First of all, yes, we see her trying to we see her cleaning it and it turning pink. (laughs) Yeah. And I'm, I'm just thinking. No, you had to replace that rug, baby. Well, she put like a table over it. You saw <laughs> yeah, later, but yeah. but I'm thinking, man, she used some spot shot and a half, it's, maybe some DD seven on that. To like get unless that. the local Scotland Yard is just really thick, I think. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, I think that uh, I think she's going to have a hard time with that. But but don't you don't you love the the way the British uh, uh, bleed paint? And you know, I'm great that yeah. they, 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 I love that they. That's an amazing British. I must be their diet diet or something that turns their blood to paint. <laughs> well, and, and I do love that they called the set of Dawn of the Dead. Yeah, you messed us up, Annie. Can you get us? A, <laughs> yeah. Can you get us a big vial of that stuff? <laughs> and, 
and you're and you're, and you're yeah. right. But see, that's one of the things that I think that it's one of the elements in the story that I think I don't know that they went for this. And I'd love to know. I don't know if mm. they were going for a heightened sense of reality, kind of mm. taking you out of it just a little yeah. bit by having the paint look. I mean, having yeah. the blood look so much like paint. Yeah, well, I mean, obviously, kind of honestly, the hammer blood too. Well, yeah, and that probably yeah. had that probably went a long way with censors. To be honest with you, I mean, as much as the censors ready to pounce on these films, the fact that the blood doesn't look very realistic may have helped them in some of probably. these cases. You know. Yeah, yeah, you, you may you may be right. But as we say, we've got evil inside the house, evil outside mm-hmm. the house, but yeah. they're very different. One is calculated, planned. Mm-hmm. She's got it laid out. It's evil as all get out, mm-hmm. but it's that darker, more chaotic, mm-hmm. uh, vicious, unpredictable evil that's cr- encroaching in on the house from the uh, from the outside. And that's, I think... Why maybe they chose? Because if you'll notice in the other segments in this film, they're not lit like that. The no. interiors aren't mm-hmm. lit like that. Right. So that's a definite <clears throat> choice yeah. to light this sequence in that way. Mm-hmm. And uh, like I say, maybe I'm overthinking it. It wouldn't well, be the first time, but you know. <laughs> no, no, it's it's and, and well, and I think it. I mean, it certainly makes it more effective uh, when the Santa is like looking through the windows and trying to say there. Yeah. The fact yeah. that there is nowhere really, you get that really sense of how. There's nowhere for her. Yeah, how yeah, hard's gonna, gonna be for her to hide? You know, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, yeah, yeah. There's no, yeah. which actually brings. There's no other good place to put this in here. But there's one thing: the Blu-ray of this looks incredible. Yes, yes, it does. There's one spot where it looks too incredible as she is crawling under the window. Yes, I saw it too. You can ah, yes. see a reflection of one of the crew members. You sure can. You sure can. I forgot about that. In but the, you're right. In the, in the far left bottom uh-huh. pane of glass. Yes, you yeah. can. Plain as day, and I doubt that we were ever able to see that before. Probably not. So I can't really call it no. a blooper because you couldn't see it until it was. This thing is so clear that it's clearer yeah. than it's ever been seen in a theater. Mm-hmm. Agreed. That's agreed. A good point. Yeah. Now, <clears throat> to me. I'm, I'm going to just flat out say this is my favorite of the two versions. Me I too. Prefer, I yeah. prefer this one. It's twelve. Yeah. It's twelve minutes long, so mm-hmm. it's a little shorter yeah. and more concise. Yeah. I like uh, the performance from Joan Collins mm-hmm. because I think that it's almost <clears throat> not quite because she has those interactions with the daughter, mm-hmm. but most of the time it's just physical acting. It's, there's mm-hmm. no dialogue. She's not playing off another actor except for the daughter. Yeah, it's right. just her face telling the story. Right. And so much. I love the way the first few things she does are directly from the comic version. There. Yeah. You know, I mean, down to the description in the comic version where it says she fondles the end of the poker and lights a cigarette off the you know mm-hmm. from the fireplace. And the way she she does that, but the way she lights that cigarette is so class. It's so. Evilly classy and Joan Collinsy, the way she lights that cigarette. And actually, off she has she in her just, mouth for a couple minutes yeah. before she even bothers to light it. Yeah, too. exactly. Yeah, it's yeah. just just yeah. wonderful stuff there. Yeah, <laughs> and and of course we we once again we see her pop open a safe and look at uh, some papers. Right. Yeah. So we, we so that's still part of the yeah, it's still, the still part of the story. The insurance and in this it's insurance and not a will, I believe. Mm-hmm. Yes. Right. Yeah. Of course, the story ends. Mm-hmm. The same way as the original story. They all end the same way. And, and I'm sorry, I'm going to jump. I'm yeah. just jumping all over. It's like you're an and over there. I just keep jumping. On <laughs> and he's a frog. He's jump a all over it. A Christmas oh frog God. jumping all over your and. I'm going to jump on you. <laughs> if somebody um, tunes in, don't tune in midway through this episode, folks. You won't know what you the hell we're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> it's like trying to start watching Game of Thrones now. Yeah. <laughs> you're lost, buddy. Um, the performance of, and I didn't write the guy's name down, but the guy who played Santa Claus. Oh, yes, yes. He's great. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. And he's, just, he's, just, he's just menacing. Eyes yeah, and, just menacing with these hooded eyes mm-hmm. and this just stare that just feels like 
It, it just feels it, it just feels malevolent. Malevolent. It's just terrible. Yeah. yeah well. Well. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And a bit underplayed uh, compared to our next performance. Yeah. But, uh, yes. but uh, yes. this guy. Oh, to make it even more creepy, the guy has no filmography because I looked at the filmography of these people. Filmography of these people, and that guy like. It tells his name on IMDb, but there's like nothing for him. You know? wow. So this was like his. Was one. he the real Santa? <laughs> he could have been the real <laughs> Santa, driven no. mad. Yeah. He was the real escape lunatic. Real escape lunatic, right. yeah. From the crim- home of the criminal yeah, insane. They went to the local home of the criminally insane. Yeah, can't we ball when you were going to take small the other day? <laughs> We're still looking to, to, to raise enough funds to erect that chain link fence around that house. Yeah. yeah, that's a good idea. Let's put a fucking wall around a damn lunatic asylum to keep the loonies in. And if we could, keep them away from the axes. Just a thought. Edge weapons seem like a bad idea. Mm-hmm. So, so that guy, really, you couldn't find, there wasn't anything else. I couldn't find form. anything on the guy. Man. I forgot it's to, I glanced through everybody else, mm. but not him. Yeah. And. But but yeah, no, but he was I so good. He is great. I His know. face is just, um, and it's part mm-hmm. what you said, Rod was yeah. great. He's so menacing because yeah. Yeah. he's just very cold. Yeah, yeah. he doesn't say anything. Yeah. He's right. just staring. Yeah. Um, a, a couple of things that I did dig up from the exploring the filmographies is just to mention that this was written by Milton Sabotsky. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. Who, uh, who uh, I believe you, you, you're just going to turn up on some of your uh, uh, podcasts with the Doctor Who films. He wrote the yes, uh, he, Peter he, Cushing he, Doctor he Who did, films. Uh, he was in, of course, both of those, uh, both those uh, Peter Cushing Doctor Who films were early productions done by what became Amicus. So mm-hmm. Milton Sabotsky had a hand in those. He was and, certainly uh, much more known for producing than writing. He didn't do that many scripts. Yes, he actually, yes. I think he. What surprised me is I had never realized or had forgotten that he actually was uh, had. Came up with the story anyway for uh, uh, Horror Hotel, you know the city of the city of the dead, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. which yeah. is a really effective film. Um, he also wrote the script for At the Earth's Core, which is reason enough that he should not be allowed near <laughs> near a typewriter, probably for you. Know. Man, you guys are I killing know, we're me. Being, but you love that. That's I'm sorry. We're treading on sacred <laughs> I love, ground. I love way. it too. Oh sure, we do. We love it. But I'm not going to pretend <laughs> that it's something it's not. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, I love green slime, but yeah. and, and from Hell it came. Yeah. But I'm not going to sit here and say you know high art. <laughs> That's what they are. Well, you should. Yeah, our, 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 we do apologize to Milton there, but uh, but the but the uh, I wonder if he's ever called Uncle Milty. I wonder if anyone ever called him that. I'll, I'll tell you, I'll tell you yeah. one thing. He was called was a freaking cheapskate. That is for sure. That is for sure. Yeah. That is for sure. Every, everyone who worked for, for him was cheap. Is cheap. You're right. But my favorite thing that I my favorite tidbit I came up with in all of my research on this is as I this film. Sounds so horrible that it must be experienced. I think someday I'd never heard it before, but I was looking at Joan Collins' filmography, uh, a film that she apparently made with her husband. She was married to Anthony Newley. Okay, he made a film called "Can Hieronymus Merkin Ever Forget Mercy Hump and Find True Happiness." I've heard of this film. It, it was made in 1969, and Joan Collins plays a character called Polyester Poontang. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so this must be. I think. <laughs> I think it's the must-see. Wow. Yeah, yeah. You have got to be kidding. No, I'm not kidding. She plays Polyester Poontang, and another actress actually plays a character called Mercy Hump. And And uh, so Sean Connery comes in, I must be dreaming. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Anthony Newley, apparently this was like some, you know, shrine project to himself. He wrote, directed it, produced it, starred in it, and all this, and and, and so... This is going to be a disaster It sounds like, though, it does sound sound amazing, so Oh, my God. (laughs) Reel that title off. The title is Hieronymus Merkin... uh, I'm sorry. 
Can Hieronymus Merkin ever forget Mercy Hump and find true happiness from 1969? So you know there was a period of time where bizarre oh. fucking titles like that. And they always I love, had like, I love you, Alice yeah. B. Tokus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And no, things just, like that. Yeah, or it's just, like where you're just like, why mm-hmm. people titles should not be full sentences. Well, and I also love this kind of era where you had like Hollywood trying to be like suddenly be hip or like movie. Skidoo is another perfect example where yeah, you had these yeah. movies, big budgeted, huge, incredible cast of people trying to be suddenly relevant again by doing supposedly counterculture kind of films, you know, and things. And blowing know, so, it. And, and totally, yeah. totally botching it. Yeah, Being but. <laughs> completely tone deaf and clueless about what they were yes. doing. Yeah, yes. yeah. But, eh, Okay, well, you've uh, you've added uh, something mm-hmm. to the list of uh, films that uh, if I ever run across it, I will no longer run away. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> it. Uh, last thing I want, last thing I have to say about the Amicus version is just that I actually kind of wish that it had ended a few seconds before it did, in the sense that I kind of wish it had been a little bit more in line with the other versions, where it just ends with the reveal of the Santa Claus and the woman screaming, as opposed to you know that whole last yeah. little bit where he chases her to the fireplace and strangles. Her, I think it would have been better if we. I always prefer when we don't actually see, see the murder. Know how he yeah. murders? I think the imagination conjures up a lot worse than just strangling her. You know, so that's to me that's about the only, really the only misstep to me of that entire segment is just I think it should have just ended a second before that. We didn't need to see that. I agree. It, it actually agree does take yeah. it to the gasp, yeah. choke ending. Yeah, yeah. Where you actually see her being choked. Yeah. And you're right. It's better to mm. like the next one ends where. Yeah. The, the next it starts one starts to advance yeah, on her yeah, in yeah, the comic yeah. where you see the guy, yeah, and, and you know she's just, in trouble, right? Yeah, yeah. Mm. And that is uh, that's the Amicus version from 1972. Yeah, I I, I feel mm. even though I like the the version we're about to talk about. Oh yeah, I feel it's the superior one. Yeah, a lot of maybe a lot of it maybe just in the era we grew up in the kind of films, the pacing, the way we love those films of 60s and 70s, that kind of the pacing and feel and tone of those films. Yes, yeah. But uh, but for I just kind of like that slow burn of this story as opposed to the balls to the walls craziness of the next version, which is a hell of a, hell of a lot of fun. It, it's, it's it's totally it's, different. It, it so is. let's uh, yeah. we will let's, take... let's talk about that one. Yeah. Continue our music for Christmas Eve after KEC News on the Hour. And now here's Tracy Donahue with the headlines. Police and sheriff's departments in the Gaines County area have issued an all-points bulletin this evening for a male Caucasian reported to have brutally murdered four women in the Pleasantville area. County authorities say that the man, a patient at the Pleasantville Institute for the Criminally Insane, escaped earlier this evening and should be considered extremely dangerous. Officials confirm that the suspect is a heavyset man in his late 40s and is reported to be wearing a Santa Claus suit stolen from the home of one of his victims. All citizens in the Pleasantville Gaines area are advised to remain in their homes until further notice throughout this emergency alert situation. The 1989 version done for HBO's Tales from the Crypt series tells, once again, the exact same story but it's a little longer than mm-hmm. the 12-minute version that we got in the Amicus film. And to lengthen it out just a smidge, some of the things they do to lengthen it out make sense, in my yeah. opinion, are actually just natural outgrowths mm-hmm. of the story itself. But I will say that uh, this version, one of the things that they do is they lighten it up a little. And this mm-hmm. was typical of the Tales from the Crypt series on HBO, which was they added some really dark humor to things. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, most and, that, of the time, and that's not out of place no. with with the source material no, either. Not so. at all. No, no, not at all. But 
Uh, that does give us a nice sharp contrast between yeah. the first version and this I'll version, so, yeah. because uh, in the Amicus film, it's played very straight. It's very, it's very dry. It's very British. Mm, yeah. Oh yeah. And this is not. This mm, is definitely mm. an American story. I mean, the comic was an American story, mm-hmm. and this is mm. taking it back to the United States and kind of putting it in the context of. Um, American filmmaking to a degree. Yeah. So we're going to amp it up a little bit. Mm-hmm. Which is interesting because the British version is much closer of an a- adaptation yes. to yes. the original story than this mm-hmm. version is. Mm-hmm. True. Very like true. Like Troy said, there's some of it just line for line, you know, panel for panel, almost like storyboards for it. So. Exactly. In this version, like I say, it's a, it's a little bit longer. It's about 10 minutes longer. Uh, and some of those editions, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to draw attention to some of the things that mm-hmm. I think are, are <clears throat> poor editions, but some of the things are... Mm-hmm are additions that don't necessarily lengthen the story out, but that I find to be choices that, uh, for me, detract from it just a little okay. bit. Now, I will say the casting is just fine. I think I think the uh, the woman who plays the our evil murderous uh, housefrau is just fine. And Mary Ellen Trainer, yeah. She's very good. Uh, I think she's quite good in this. But I will say that the character as presented in this version of the story is not as bright. Mm-hmm as the woman in the original comic story or the character played by Joan Collins. Joan Collins's character shows some real understanding of her circumstances and of what she's doing. This woman makes a couple of gargantuan errors mm-hmm. that are just obvious. The first time you see her make these errors, you're thinking, mm-hmm. what in the hell is going through her head? Mm-hmm. One of them involves an addition. In this version, the woman doing the murdering has a boyfriend on the side. Okay. She, right. after she's murdered her husband, calls up mm-hmm. and leaves a voicemail message. She actually leaves a message mm-hmm. on her mm-hmm. boyfriend, mm-hmm. her sleazy mm-hmm. boyfriend's mm-hmm. answering machine, mm-hmm. telling him, it's mm-hmm. done, darling. Yeah. She just might as well have said... Take this as a confession, yeah, police officer. All that officers. money will be ours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Although I do like his. I'm thinking about oh. using that for my voicemail. <laughs> Leave your name, mum, number, and measurements. <laughs> yeah. Well, see, here's what I like about that. You're right about her making a big mistake doing That's that. That's gigantic. But, I mean, she's begging to be caught. Uh, but I think that what I thought was the. I thought that in a very little bit of information we hear about this guy, you could see how the whole story would unfold if her story was to continue past this. Right. Because he sounds like a total douchebag. Yeah, oh, yeah. he's, he's going to get that money and be gone. And, and Exactly. You can just see that, and yeah. that's very much an easy thing, too. But it's like, if this story went further and she survived this and went on, you know that she's going to end up at the end of a poker, you know, on a, at the end of an axe or something. Or just left behind Or left behind, because you, know. you just, all you need to know about this guy, just the fact that he's not there... And, you know, and it shows that she's being played just as much as she's just played her husband there, you know, so. (laughs) Before we get too far in the story, one thing we've mentioned earlier, the husband and the other version was this very nice, charming gentleman. This guy seemed like a prick. Yes. And that's that's a very good point. And that is is a change, because in the comic book story, we don't have a character for the husband. He's just someone who's just been murdered. We, and all the information we have about him is just that one line in the comic book story that is her, mm. her describing him. Right. In this, as in the other adaptation, we actually spend a little bit of, we spend a few seconds with the guy, and he's a dick. Yeah. And and so, I guess in this version, they're wanting us to maybe split our, our you know, even what, you know, maybe feel a little more sympathy for her. Yeah. And also, uh, I, I think it's interesting, too, though, that, that um, when she has the inevitable, 
you know, interaction with her daughter and calming her down. The daughter's excited for Santa Claus. We find out that he's her stepfather. Yeah. Right. I wonder what, why would you guys think they made that change? That's an think odd about choice. Because really I cannot never really play in the story. I can't really think of any possible reason story wise why that would be. Well, here's my here's my thought, and it's the only thing that I can imagine that would make this change okay, work. Okay, maybe I know what you're going to say. Go ahead and say it. Well, no, no, you may have something else. What this boils down to is the way this episode, the way this telling of the story plays out is we're first introduced to the husband character and he's a dick. Right. So immediately you don't like him. Right. Then, bam, he's killed. Yeah. And you ha- and you kind of, as an audience member, you're kind of nodding along and going, good, the dick got killed. Good, mm-hmm. he's an asshole. Get mm-hmm. him off the screen. And for just a few seconds, you have you, you're you're identifying just a little bit with her, mm-hmm. and then she immediately does the the, the phone call to the douchebag boyfriend mm-hmm. and does something so stupid mm-hmm. that the audience now goes, "Well, this dumbass is going to get caught." Mm-hmm. So what they're doing, as structured and as written, is they're telling the exact same story as before, but mm-hmm. we have ah, this guy's an asshole. Oh, I have some sympathy for her. I can see why you'd want to kill this asshole. If he was this way on Christmas Eve, God knows what he was like the rest of the year. Mm-hmm. And then you can't identify with her or empathize with her very much past the next few seconds when she does something so damn stupid that everyone <laughs> in the audience is going, she's a moron. <laughs> so I think that what they're doing is putting you in the position of just being as neutral an observer mm-hmm. of the events in front of you as you can be. In other words, mm-hmm. we don't want you being sympathetic toward her mm-hmm. because that that's that that's that's not what the point of the story is. Right. And we want to put you in the position where the only person that you could really honestly have any concern about whatsoever is the daughter, the child. Mm-hmm. And by making the the husband a step or the 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 murder victim, mm-hmm. the stepfather, mm-hmm. that gives the audience a little bit more distance to identify with the little girl, mm-hmm. because she's not really going to be that harmed by the fact that her mother killed this guy. This isn't her mm-hmm. father. This is mm-hmm. a stepfather. And if he was that much of a dick, did you <laughs> did the daughter like him anyway? Right. <laughs> yeah, so that's the only thing that I can come well, up with is to is is to distance. The one character that you can have some sympathy for, mm. the, the the daughter from the from the from, from the murder victim. I see that. What I was, and I see what you're saying. Where I thought you might be going, because it suddenly occurred to me. I, are we supposed to wonder what happened to the original husband, the original father? Is, oh, and, I didn't and, think of that. And is it possible that she's a black widow? You know, that maybe uh, that maybe uh, she were maybe what did you think? Has she done this before? You know, but she that only just she's now. Too dumb. Yeah, that's you're probably right. That's just it. <laughs> to have gotten away with the first yeah. one, but yeah, <laughs> I, don't, I don't think that there's any way this woman mm. got away with a murder in her yeah. life. Okay, she but, wasn't going to get away with this one. That's but now, sure. speaking of another story elaboration or an added uh, ingredient. Do y'all at least give her some credit for the fact that she thought to blame that to actually pin at some point in the story? She I actually thinks about that. pinning yes. this yes. on the the killer, which none of the other that doesn't happen in any of the other two stories. Because her original plan was never going to work anyway, which is like, bad well. with a poker and, and then put him in a well, well where no one will look there. No, no one will ever think to. No one will ever think to look there. The actual murder itself was fantastic. Mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah. I had to actually oh, wind it back oh, because awesome. he's like, "Whoa, how did they?" And then I saw, you know, he 
takes a drink, mm-hmm. leans forward like he's going to set the glass yeah. down. Mm-hmm. You see the top of his head come back, and then the poker just bashes it in. Yeah. And I'm, how did they do that? And then, ah, they switched it. They the switched, old, yeah. The old okey-doke there. Yeah. <laughs> But it's it's you're right, and and the look the, the look on his face, and that he maintains. The, yeah. I mean, the fact he, he does a great you know this the, the, the he does a you know a, a great job throughout though of just maintaining that great look with the tongue sticking out and that, that expression on his face is just great. But that's another that's another element of kind of the humor being injected. Exactly. Into the story. Oh, it's so, got a lot of the morbid. Like one of my favorite parts is when she. Uh, well, again, when she later decides that she's going to try and, and blame the, the, you know, pin the, 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 his death on the killers, when she's trying to hit him with the axe, and when she finally does, and the way his feet just bounce up off the roof, <laughs> that's just a great little touch that's like very, very nice. Uh, he, you know, I think William Gaines would have been, would have been, mm-hmm. would have been pleased. Doing but that. that very sequence where she's got the body laid out there in the front yard, yeah. and she's realized, oh, wait a minute, mm-hmm. I can blame this on the mm-hmm. escaped lunatic with the axe. And so her idea, smart idea, you're right, mm-hmm. is to plant this axe in this guy in, in my mm-hmm. husband's he- forehead, and then hey, mm-hmm. guess what? Mm-hmm. I, there's, I'm I'm free and clear, smart move. <laughs> but I will say this is one of the points in the in this telling of it where I got irritated, mm-hmm. which is she misses twice, yeah. one to each side of his head, <laughs> and then finally cleaves his skull in two, <laughs> and each time it's like once was enough. Twice was you're starting was to piss me off. Time. You're dragging this out. That's where you're feeling like, oh, we still got some time to fill let's, here, guys. Yeah, let's <laughs> let, you're dragging this out. You're dragging this mm-hmm. out. Come on. Mm-hmm. And it's not, a, and, and it's it's not like some of the things that are added to this, which kind of um, whether they work or not, they're mm-hmm. put there to add suspense. They're mm-hmm. they're put there to kind of add some tension to the story. Mm-hmm. That's not. That's mm-hmm. simply put there as a, a ha ha. But mm-hmm. it's a ha ha that's done twice, mm-hmm. and it was to me not very funny the first time, and the second time it's. Uh, I kind of fuck you. <laughs> just, let's move. Let's move on. If we can move on, let's get to where we're going here. Uh, so, and you're pretty angry at that thirty seconds you lost. <laughs> it doesn't need to be this long. It doesn't need to be as long. It, that, that's that's my overwhelming. I'll just I'll just say that's my major criticism of this version mm-hmm. of it, which is mm-hmm. I like it. It's mm-hmm. fun. Mm-hmm. I enjoy it. But and some of the additions are are fun and work, even when mm-hmm. they're they're humorous. Uh, they work. But it's a little too long. It's just a little. It's like it needs to be a couple of minutes shorter. It needs to be tightened up a little because it just feels like they felt like well, it's got to be twenty five minutes long. But it did have to be twenty five minutes. Well, long. I know it is like. But they it's HBO. Be- if it were a little shorter, who would give a shit? You know, who would have cared? I don't know if they were required for it to be a certain length. Probably. But if so, but if so I mean, I just thought they had to get it in under thirty minutes or whatever. I'm not positive because my memory is that. The length of t- the length of the the various episodes varied within you know a five minute a, f- a five minute range, cutting uh, uh, cutting cards that episode with uh, Lance Henriksen and uh, it takes place in Vegas. That episode clocks in at barely over twenty minutes. If memory does it okay. So so I don't know if mm. that's a because freedom- HBO always had HBO always had their little short little promos and things they yeah. could fill up they yeah. could throw yeah. in. Right. You know now if they were already thinking ahead for. You know, syndication or something. Of course, I think they probably were chopped up even more by the time they started being shown on with commercials. They probably would yeah. trim yeah. them even more. But um, so, what do you guys uh, did? It did it bother you guys the the when shit just breaks loose and and all that noise and crashing windows is going on? Did any of you think like, okay, how in the hell is the little girl? Yep. And I hate because I know that's what everybody's saying. In fact, you you know, even yeah. when I watched it again on, uh, I'll just uh, oh, to you pull my like, notes here. 
that kid sleeps hard. Yeah, I know. And yeah. I love how she's the mom's down there screaming her head yeah. off. Santa throws a the tire swing through the, through the window, window. Yeah. and she's sleeping through all that. But then the door creaks closed. Santa. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, it's, you know, in, 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 in general, I'm, I'm not a huge nitpicker about those kind of things. But that one was kind of kind of hard to. That's to hard really to get over because it was a war zone downstairs. It was, exactly. <laughs> When the tire swing, I know you expect to pick up a bazooka, and like you know, and like, or just crank up a chainsaw, yeah, yeah. or whatever. And you see the kid upstairs. Oh well, let's talk about Santa, the uh, the uh, the immortal Larry Drake, <laughs> the wonderful Larry Drake, who at this point in time I think was probably best known for most people by for playing uh, a person with Down syndrome mm. on L.A. Law. Yeah, yeah. Uh, a, a damn good actor and mm. someone who, uh, for for me, his immortal performance is going to be as the villain in Dark Man. Of course, oh yeah, yeah that. But and also I uh, gotta love him as uh, as uh, it was in um, I guess probably one of the first places any of us saw him was Dark Knight, Dark Knight and Scarecrow. Scarecrow. Yeah, I love that and Scarecrow. And he, so he kind of specialized in playing uh, rather dis- either disturbed yeah. and or uh, slow individuals mm-hmm. in various and sundry things until he played that villain in Dark Man, and yeah. then <laughs> then he was playing villains for a little while. Yeah, uh, of course, for a certain uh, subset of our, our audience, uh, they mm-hmm. might know him best as Doctor Giggles. And if that yeah. is true, I apologize to you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we as a, we, we, as a po- nation, let us point you, let us point you in. A as a right. nation, yeah. we have let you down. Uh, <laughs> So, <laughs> well, you know, I, obviously this is obviously they told him to just go completely over the top crazy for this role, but he's hilarious in it. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, yes. the sounds he makes just crack me up every time. Oh, he likes the bit where he gets kicked in the balls <laughs> and the <laughs> eyes cross. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they just yeah, they just told him to, he just totally has fun with his role, and it's it is and it's, very and it, there's, he doesn't have a word of dialogue in no. it, but he, there's so many grunts and moans yeah, and, yeah, and weird sounds, sounds and. <laughs> And that, that, that sound he makes when he's like yeah. swinging the axe at her when he first appears, yeah. it's just like, holy shit, should I, should I be smiling this much at this bizarre sound effect coming out of this guy? And one thing to be said about him, too, he looks exactly like the Santa in the original story. Yes, yes. he does. When you yes, see the last yeah, panel, right. I mean, that looks like yeah. a drawing of Larry yeah. Drake. Yeah, yeah. yeah. really. Yeah, you're right. You're right. He has actually much more accurate to that than, than, than the Santa in the version, yeah. the Amicus version. You're right. But That's the version point. of the Amicus. St- telling oh, is, oh, is much creepier. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. It's kind yeah. of a it's kind of a weird trade. Again, it's just yeah. all, all part and parcel of the tonal differences mm-hmm. between those two yeah. versions. This one obviously is for a, another fifteen years of horror movies past. You know, for or more than that for audiences. You know, it's just kind of like they yeah. ramped it up. You know, for the and and you know, and I understand that, and I think that. Well, they, let, let's point out here that. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the the script for this the adaptation yeah. of this was done by Fred Decker. Yeah, now, yeah. If you don't know who Fred Decker is or was, he's still. It's not like he's not still around. But uh, most famous, I think, for uh, well, he did a, he did a lot of things. He co script the he, he co scripted the uh, the 1988 remake of the blog uh, of the Blob, <laughs> but he also wrote and directed uh, the Monster Squ- uh, the Monster, yeah, Squad Monster Squad and uh, Night of the Creeps, yeah. two of the best, but uh, Two of the best little horror films from yeah. the uh, late 80s that made absolutely zero dollars when they yeah. came out but are now considered classics. Yeah, much of the genre. beloved. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, if you've never seen those, uh, go see them. And if you have seen them, you know who Fred Decker is because yeah. he did those. 
He, uh, we'll, we'll pass over the fact that he made RoboCop 3 because nobody could have saved that piece of shit. But <laughs> the sad thing is, though, that was, I think, the final nail yeah, that got him in a life sentence in director jail. Yeah. 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 I can't yeah. believe that somebody hasn't given that guy another chance. Well, he, he's very lucky in that one of his best buddies in the world is uh, Shane Black. Mm-hmm. And so uh, he has worked on a couple of things in recent years with Shane Black. Now that uh, Mr. Black has has some uh, Hollywood uh, credentials or some 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 Hollywood um, mm-hmm. uh, credit back mm-hmm. uh, with the success of uh, of uh, uh, Iron Man three, he had you know, Robert Downey Jr. worked with him on Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, which was Shane Black's directorial debut. Um, he also mm-hmm. scripted. And then uh, he pulled some strings and got him to come in and do Iron Man 3. Mm-hmm. And that led to him being able to do The Nice Guys, which, of course, once again, didn't do very well, right, sadly, right. even though it's a fantastic film. Uh, and then he and Fred Decker worked on a pilot for Amazon, adapting one of my favorite uh, incredibly violent Western paperback series from the 70s called Edge. Yeah. Uh, they produced a pilot. It did not, unfortunately, go to series. Mm. But if you have Amazon Prime, allow me you to can watch the pilot. You, yeah. you can watch the pilot, and it's an, it's an hour long, and it is very it is very violent and well worth your time because it's Shane Black and Fred Decker working together again. Cool. And uh, my understanding is that um, whatever Fred, whatever uh, Shane Black has been working on the past few years, Fred Decker's involved in as well. Mm. So he's not gone away. He's still, as far as I can tell, locked in, locked in director jail for directing three <laughs> films, all of which were financial flops. Yeah. So he got his shot, and unfortunately, two out of those three should have kept him out of director jail forever. But uh, that's Fred Decker. He's a very talented man who. Uh, uh, I understand he's also done some script doctoring across the years, but uh, you don't hear a lot about that yeah. <clears throat> because <laughs> those credits don't get uh, no. put up on the screen. No, they do not. And then the director was a guy who did yeah. a, a comedy called Used Cars, which was not a blockbuster, and then his career faded completely after that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, never heard of this. Well, he did I Want to Hold Your Hand, which was also not a huge hit. No. Then that wiped him out. Right. The guy. And then it's just a string of failures after that. Yeah. Back to the Future, Roger Rabbit. <laughs> Yeah, Forrest yeah. Gump. anybody ever heard of that one? Yeah, it's Robert, a, Robert Zemeckis, yeah. who uh, is a is a filmmaker who, for a very long period of time, I absolutely loved, and then right around the time of Contact, I turned on him, and now I am not a fan anymore. Well, he kind of fell into that uh, doing these uh, technically slick, but not as good as Incredibly they could be animated, incre- like uh, and like yeah. Beowulf, Christmas Carol, Polar Express, Polar Express, yeah, uh, y'all films that had little moments here and there, but overall were just like more, They're like I said, more technically impressive yeah. Than, yeah. than necessarily the substance that they mm-hmm. could have had. You know? They're technically impressive as hell. And even his live action films for the, about the past, mm-hmm. honestly, for about the past 20 mm-hmm. years, they're technically brilliant. Mm-hmm. But every time I watch one of his movies for the past 20 years, all I can see is the, is the amazing technique mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and i don't give a shit about anything else there's a scene <clears throat> the moment that broke me for zemeckis mm-hmm. is in contact it's mm-hmm. near the beginning of the film this is an incredible tracking shot that you realize could only have been done with special effects where we follow this character into this house and then upstairs uh the the the, the camera follows mm-hmm. up the outside of the house and then it pushes in through the window that's still closed mm-hmm. and into the bathroom and then so that we're watching this person look at themselves in the bathroom mirror with no reflection of a camera mm-hmm. and it's all done in this way just to show the fuck off mm-hmm. and then all i could see for the rest of the mm-hmm. movie is 
how mm. how like every fourth shot in the movie is being done this way just to show off. Yeah. This yeah. is not helping tell the story. Yeah. This is helping you feel like, well, at least I'm not bored making this fucking movie. Yeah, I, I do hate it in films when they do something really intricate and clever for no, film-wise, for really no purpose. You know, it's, it's like if, you know, it's like if someone calls somebody and the camera decides to go down, you know, go across back, mm-hmm. like if it was still using phone lines or something, mm-hmm. like decides to travel along all the wires all the way to the other end where the person just answers the phone. Something like that. I mean, something just completely pointless. pointless. You know, like that. Well, that if you've ever seen From Dusk Till Dawn 2, that movie's actually. full of them. Oh, like, there's that. a bit where the I've camera's, seen, yeah. like, behind a rotating fan, and you see it, like, shot through the blades of the of the yeah. fan as yeah. it rotates back and forth, and it's just full of that. And yeah. after a while, it's like, hey, come on, you're just <laughs> showing off. <laughs> yeah, 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 that, exactly. You know, and, and you, you know, it's interesting that, uh, I don't know if you guys did. You guys, I don't know if you guys neither. That uh, that Mary Ellen Trainer that plays the the wife in this is was was actually Robert Zemeckis's wife at the time. I did not know. Yeah, that. they were married for a lot of years. And I, I didn't know that. Really. Like, yeah, uh huh. But there's a you know this HBO series really had some heavy hitters behind oh, it. Yeah. You know? I mean, oh, you shit, had like yeah. Walter Hill who did the Man Who's Death, who again is probably maybe one maybe my all time favorite episode of that series. It was just so good. But and and Zemeckis, you know, so you had a lot of guys behind this show uh, to really kind of give it a, a big push at first. There, you know, Richard they, Donner was involved. Richard Donner, yeah. yeah. And so they were using, and so especially early on in the series, I think they were really kind of on board to try and lend their own creative talents to, you know, yeah. I mean, like the cinematographer for this is Dean Cundy, you know, yeah, actually, yes, yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah. for this episode, so. Um, yeah, so so I think that there was a lot of these guys. You know, I think they were all thrilled to you know to be able to do you know do this. By, by, by the way, if you aren't aware, Dean Cundey uh, shot uh, most of John Carpenter's early films, yeah. uh, mm-hmm. including Halloween and Escape mm-hmm. from New York, and just an amazing uh, award-winning cinematographer, much like Freddie Francis. Involved in who right, directed exactly. because remember Freddie Francis won Oscars as a cinematographer, and uh, mm-hmm. so did uh, well. Did I think did Dean Cundey has he won a, an Oscar for or? Rock and Roll High School? Yeah, right. No. Come on. <laughs> he thought he had us, but... Yeah. Uh, anyway, one more thing about yes, Robert Zemeckis, because yeah. we've really shat all over him here for a while, but yeah. for me, the guy gets a pass for life for whatever role he had in that episode of The Night Stalker with the headless motorcycle rider. <laughs> <laughs> because, yes, he was involved in that. Yeah. Everything after that doesn't matter. <laughs> but I, I'll be honest with you. And that was the best effect in any of his films, yeah. that headless <laughs> motorcycle <laughs> rider. <laughs> I'll, 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 be, I'll be straightforward. Uh, I really love... There was a string... Robert Zemeckis made a string of films that mm. I think are wonderful. I yeah. love the Back to the Future films. Yeah. I absolutely love Roger Rabbit. Me too, I th- yeah. But I'll, I'll be blunt. My favorite of his films is Used Cars. I used love cars Used Cars, is, actually. Great movie. That's, that that's and I Want to Hold Your Hand, I think, is, of course, I'm a, that's a really well done Beatles movie. fanatic. I know, that's a that really well done great. movie. It is. Yeah, Used Cars is hilarious, too. Yeah. That's a great movie, yeah. That, 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 is, that, that, for a lot of years, was the funniest movie I'd ever seen in my life. And now, unfortunately, it's number three. My favorite three comedies of all time, for no one who wants to hear this, are Bringing Up Baby by Howard Hawks, mm-hmm. Raising Arizona by mm-hmm. the Coen Brothers, mm-hmm. and... Used Cars mm-hmm. by Robert yeah, Zemeckis and Bob nice. Gale, his co-writer, yeah. Bob yeah. Gale. And number four, The Sun and All with Pauly Shore. <laughs> I was going to say Biodome, but... Bio uh, Dome. <laughs> number five. <laughs> number five, <laughs> Biodome. <laughs> number six, Jerry Dude with Pauly Shore. <laughs> oh, number seven, Encino Man with Pauly Shore. <laughs> oh, God. After we get past ten, we start getting into the Jack Black films. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I swear I'm going to kill both of you. <laughs> kill... Kill, 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 kill. Number 10, Chairman of the Board with Carrot Top. 
<laughs> You're dead. Oh, the guy had all the Rob Schneider films in it. Carrie, thank goodness. See, Mommy, I told you Sam would come, and he didn't even have to come down the chimney. I let him in. So I've kind of waited to the the last here, talking about this last segment, to uh, to bring up one more kind of item of comparison between these the three versions that I thought was pretty interesting. I wanted to get you guys' take on it or see if you thought about it. But the question of the child, what happens to the child, right, is right. Is, is something that I think most anybody is going to at some point ask themselves, whether they were reading the original comic book or reading the or, or watching these versions or watching these film versions. So what's interesting to me is that. She gets a pass in version one and three, but not in the Amicus one. Because okay, let's go back to the comic book. Uh, he said the voice that announces, you know, the the, the maniac has escaped. You know, said that that oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. said that he likes children, and they mm-hmm. say that on the, which I think it's interesting that all the people who were saying how you know evil these EC comics and bad for kids was right there in the comic book. They're trying to soften it a little bit by by pointing assuring, out that this murderer isn't going to bother the child. Yeah. yeah. So 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 the kid is so the kid is safe in the in the comic book. Right. Okay, let's go to the HBO version, the third version. There, the Vault Keeper and his, or the Crypt Keeper, Crypt Keeper, yeah, yeah. Okay, Vault Keeper in the comic book, Crypt Keeper in the show. <laughs> in his final farewell, he says, "Don't worry about little Carol." You know, says this this one preferred uh, what's that? Oh, uh, preferred women. older women in pieces. You know, <laughs> so again, let you off the hook with the girl. Right. The Amicus version is the only one that doesn't give you any, any assurance. Out. Yeah, and which I thought was kind of interesting. You would think that would be you would think it'd be more typical that the modern version would be the one to kind of like really not give you Soften any break it. on that at all. But it was actually the Amicus version. But never. It, but it fits in with what we were saying before, which is the Amicus version is the darker version. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mean, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of really it's, played it's, really it's, more. It's played yeah. straight down mm-hmm. the middle and is very dark and is very cruel and and mm-hmm. one might even say mean spirited to a, a degree oh. that uh, mm-hmm. I mean yes, of course the original story is quite mean spirited, but. Yeah. Of the two adaptations, you know, yeah. they're you know they're really grinding salt in the wound as much as yeah, they can. The, yeah, there's not really any humor. Yeah, at all there's there's no humor yeah. at all yeah. In, yeah. in the Amicus version. Mm-hmm. It's very dark and grim, and which is what I, which is what I like about it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And there's it's hard to really find a lot of suspense in the HBO version as far as like actual fear. Yeah, or, there's some right. really great jump scares that mm-hmm. t- when that tire comes through. Oh yeah, the, that's a good jump scare. But there aren't right as now. many. There aren't any moments of like real menace. No, like in the Amicus version where you, where Santa's looking in with those eyes, you know, looking yeah. back and forth. And we just kind of get those quiet scenes of the outside yeah. with that just you know, the snow and the just you know the outside of the house there, and you know, and you just feel something's there. But mm-hmm. yeah, well, like I say, the, what, the I do feel that the HBO version is. Is too long. It needed to be shorter, and mm. some of the things that they insert into the story into the story to lengthen it out mm. uh, are a little irritating. And one of them almost works, but doesn't. Which is when she stupidly gets herself trapped in the closet, <laughs> the closet with the little window that lets her see that Santa has puts a ladder against the wall and starts climbing up to try to get into the bedroom window of her daughter. And the doorknob fucks up, and mm. and she can't. She's trying to back. She's gonna have to bash her way out of the closet. That's one. That's that's yeah, the after, biggest. After a while, starts building when when her keys fall through the stairs yeah, and then yeah, steps, and the, you know, it's like it does kind of build to the point where it does become it really leans more towards the humorous, like what could go wrong next, right, you know, right. to a 
an unbelievable it, degree. Of it's just, it, it's yeah. almost I kept looking for you know like mm-hmm. a signature on on the side of the side mm-hmm. of the house that said Rube Goldberg built this fucking place. <laughs> it's like this is you know some of this is ridiculous. I mean, there's mm-hmm. some some of this is to the point where if one of those things had happened, like mm-hmm. the keys, okay. But when you get to the whole closet door, not the, the doorknob coming apart while she's trapped in while she's inside the closet, it's like, oh, okay, come on. Mm-hmm. And then missing the head with the axe on each side, it's like, no, 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 no. Now you're just jerking me around. So well, another thing about it. being locked in the closet while she sees Santa climbing the ladder up to her daughter's window is it totally telegraphs the twist on the in the ending. Where you know the kid's going to let him in because she's yeah. up saying, "Come on, you slowpoke, yeah. come on in." So mm-hmm. that's yeah. a good point. There's no doubt yeah. that that's how he's going to yeah. get in. Yeah. And see, that's one of the that's a bad thing about mm-hmm. that that that's a bad thing in this in this version of it. In that you're right, that final punch mm-hmm. needs to come out of the blue. Mm-hmm. The daughter standing there with the, the lunatic in the Santa Claus outfit. But you're right. That does telegraph it. That's not something I'd even have taken into account yeah, that it yeah, does set it up because we know this story backwards think and about forwards. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah. Um, um, one nice ahead, little yeah. touch that. I'm, yeah, that, yeah, go ahead. You're you're my and now. Yeah, <laughs> quit <laughs> stomping. <laughs> one nice little touch though that this version threw in that the Amicus one didn't, which they really couldn't because Joan Collins was more isolated in that story with no contact from the outside world. Yeah. But this happens in Gaines County. Oh, yes. Her name is Mrs. Kamen. Yeah. And yeah. then Sergeant Feldstein from the police department yeah. calls her, which is all, you know, EC names. Yeah. Names of I thought that was a nice yeah. little that, touch. Those are nice touches. And again, like I mentioned earlier in music, the one time she turns the radio and you hear that recording of, of you hear like the Christmas music, it really sounds like the same recording mm-hmm. of the same people. Say, now I know that there's a million and one of those kind of versions of Christmas songs, so I'm not saying it definitely was the same one, but I could, I could totally see them using that and actually doing that as an homage to the Amicus version, but yeah. when she turns on, it's definitely that type of recording. It sounds like voices in a big cathedral are, you know, or like a choir or something, a big singing group singing these songs, and it, it totally sounded like the music from the Amicus version. So I always, I have to, I'd love to know if that was the same recording because it, it sure could be, you know, if that was sort of their little nod to, may have been, to tell, may have nod been. to Amicus there for, yeah. Cool. And, and I love I how in both versions they've mm-hmm. got that great radio station that you always see in sitcoms. It's like, yeah. the marriage of Thurston Howell and Mrs. Howell may not be valid. Yeah. And Santa Claus has escaped from the local... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> now back to dance music. music. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And exactly yeah. the moment you need to the hear need it. need to hear it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, by the way... Sorry to interrupt the yeah. movie. Yeah. Sorry, to inter- sorry to interrupt the yeah. narrative, but uh, plot contrivance radio yeah. must, br- must break yeah. in here. Yeah. And the yeah. Martians have also landed out <laughs> Grover's Mill. And, and news from Honolulu, <laughs> yeah. the former fiancé of Marianne Summers has yeah. gotten married. Yeah. <laughs> now back to our show. Yeah. <laughs> well, I yeah. know I know that I broke it early on by mentioning the $6 million man, but there's just no way to get through an episode of this show with Hudson that does not involve talking about 1970s television. <laughs> and I apologize to all our younger listeners. Uh, yeah, all one of them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm young at heart. Okay. Well, that's actually the scariest thing about the Tales from the Crypt HBO version is it's 28 nah, years no old. No kidding. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. When oh I saw the, the tag, you know, like copyright 1989, I was like, no way. No yeah. way. Oh, and, my God. And I, I really, seeing watching this made me 
made me want to go back and, and rewatch the series again. I realize I'm about due for that because in my memory, I don't know if you guys agree with this. I mean, my memory of the series is that it, it kind of peters out as it, it goes. Yeah. Out, like it loses. I always it felt, does. and I think it's just because, man, that first season or two just had some awesome episodes. And I really kind of felt like it shot its wide early on. And, and just, I seemed like it started to dial back all those kind of, you know, morbid and creepy and fun kind of EC stuff. You know, it just seems like as it well, went they started on, they just doing, started to... In the last two seasons, I think, I think honestly, it went on for seven seasons, which I think was sadly, unfortunately, at least a season mm. or two too long. Mm. But in those last two seasons... While it was they 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 were, they were running out of material, and so they actually started doing some adaptations of some EC comics. Oh, not the horror. That yeah, were not horror. Were, yeah, was in not fact, it seemed more and more. It seemed more and more like there was very little of the horror stories mm-hmm, left right. that they and and yeah that they were all doing like two fisted tales and yeah, things like and, that. But some of that was pre- some of those were pretty interesting, and yeah. I was glad they got produced. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know the the occasional western tale or something yeah. you know, something like that. Uh, and, and there was an, there was that uh, really interesting uh, longer longer ver- longer story. That involved Kurt Douglas and uh, two of his sons. Oh, yeah, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, that yeah. was called, called Yellow. Yeah, which yeah, that, was very, that was one of the best yeah. episodes of the series. That was yeah. good. Yeah, but that's from the last. That's one <laughs> yeah. of the last two seasons, yeah. and uh, they did that uh, really interesting one that was uh, that kind of had Humphrey Bogart in it with John Lithgow and Isabella Rosalini, where uh, the oh, they did they did, yes. they did the yeah. thing like. Uh, like the the Bogart filmed uh, Dark Victory, where mm-hmm. for the first part of the film, he it, the camera is the Bogart yeah. character, and you have the, the guy who's doing Bogart's voice, mm-hmm. and so it's kind of a, a a bit of a film noir thing, and so there was some really interesting stuff yeah. later on in the in the run of Tales from the Crypt, but um, yeah, it did it did get to the point where mm-hmm. yeah, we needed to put a yeah you needed to put a stake in this a yeah. little sooner than they yeah. did, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I liked it, but yeah, it, I. Mm-hmm. Watched. I've got all of them on DVD, mm-hmm. and um, watched a couple more episodes after I watched mm-hmm. this episode. And it, of course, that's season one. Yeah. yeah. So those so, are still fun. The yeah, ones like I watched uh, were good. Like a lover come hack to me, the one with Amanda Plummer. That's just yep, like, yes, that's so one good. of the ones I watched. That's that's such a good one. Yeah, that that one's a blast, man. That, that's good that, stuff, that, that yeah. is. Yeah, and uh, I think this one was maybe from the second season, but I always loved Lower Birth. You know, was one mm-hmm. that was just a, a, they did a great job on that one and. Uh, the one with Bobcat Goldthwaite was actually really funny, and I'll remember the one that had him in yeah. it there. I think it was what the was the, the ventriloquist dummy. That was I think it. That, yeah. yeah, that was a really good one. So yeah, it had it. It, it definitely. I mean, again, I'm just feeling watching this one again, and and uh, and watching a few more from that first season. I was thinking, man, I probably am about due to spin through these again and just see how they hit me this time around. Because gosh, I mean, I probably haven't seen any of them since their their first runs. Oh, there's know. some of them I don't think I've seen in probably 25 years. Yeah. So, yeah. You know. Well, I'll tell you to. For all the video watchdog readers who might be listening, comparing the Screen Factory Blu-ray to the HBO DVD, mm. it's painful because it looks like crap. Oh, yeah, those yeah. DVD, those DVDs are yeah. That, was, those DVDs yeah. were put out 15 years ago. Yeah, yeah. and it looks yeah. it doesn't look good. Yeah, it's better yeah. nothing. Yeah, but that you see that Blu-ray, which is of course so clear, you can see things you weren't even supposed to see. Mm. Mm. The HBO version looks almost like a VHS rip. Mm. Yeah, yeah, and oh. that's so maybe it'll get upgraded one day, and I can buy it I think again. It would, <laughs> you can buy it on Blu-ray <laughs> when they when they issue the whole <laughs> set for two hundred dollars. I, I will leave you guys with one, one more thought on this: is that. Uh, uh, when I was in college there, uh, I, we actually knew a girl who uh, claimed to that uh, who uh, claimed to that that she liked to masturbate to the opening credits of that show. Uh, Tales from the Crypt. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, uh, and full disclosure, she was batshit crazy. No. Oh, wait, yeah. wait, 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 wait. One 
masturbating moment here. <laughs> yeah. Are you? T- are you- that, that was that was her. That was her claim. Like I said, you know, she's one of the girls at first. You know, when everybody first met her, was like, oh, there's this really like, you know, sexy girl that's into into horror. That's really cool for us geek boys. And then very quickly though, it was like, yeah, we got to get away from yeah, you. Well, it was like, run quickly, run quickly. You know, Troy. Troy, did did I ever meet this woman? Um, uh, I, I will not say her name on the no, air, no, don't, uh, no, no but names. I will say her name after we're off the air, and we'll, maybe you did, I don't know. You probably did, because you were part of that. Oh, my God. Uh, oh, my well, God. Do, do You're both? the guy who wanted to marry her. No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the guy that never knew about that aspect of any yeah. woman I've ever... Well, like I said, I never heard her say it. I just, according to a friend of a friend, that's what she said, but, you know, but I can I can well believe it, considering all her other ultimate behavior, but... Uh, that, that has... A, I don't know if that would have attracted or repelled me. I really don't know. <laughs> yeah. Really, I can't tell. To quote the creepy Kentuckian from the yeah. uh, Dead Pit podcast, if you ever find a woman who's into horror as much as you are, get away from her. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's not. Amen. No, you're right. That is something we. That is something that. Uh, that is something usually. Find out. <laughs> there, there is much wisdom in that statement. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> okay, and well, I'm going to go ahead and apologize to Elena, who may be listening to this, and any of our other women. You know, we don't, we know, we don't truly mean that, but uh, it's <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh, Elena. This has nothing to do with you. Please yeah. don't listen to this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> if you're hearing me say that, it's too late now. <laughs> but there is some truth. <laughs> there, there, there is ninety nine out of a hundred times right. Elena That's would right. be the one. Yeah, yeah. There, there are the exceptions, and you know, but uh, oh my goodness. So, folks, I guess. Uh, as I've said, uh, I, I I love the old DC horror <clears throat> comics. Uh, I really, really, really like the uh, Amicus version from 1972, and I get a kick with some caveats out of the version done for the HBO Tales yeah. from the Crypt series. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I do enjoy all three of them very all, much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah all three one of them. one yeah, question yeah. before we wrap it all up: uh-huh. When's the first time you guys ever read the story? Oh, the original story. Do you remember? Kind I, of. Yes. There, there was a series of reprints of EC of various EC comics in um, late eighties, early nineties. Yeah. that were done. It's like colored. You're not talking yes. about the hardbound. No, no, no not no the hardbound. Not that no one could afford. No, no, no. You know, no, no, they, no. Yeah. These were uh, the, the, these were just regular comic yeah. size, or a little larger. Because mm, yeah, I, they if, if be... I remember, if I remember properly, the covers were a little were like cardstock, a little tougher than mm. uh, the interior. Yeah, pages. I remember those. They're almost like magazine size. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. Okay, and that's where I got to finally read a lot of the EC Comics horror stuff because they were being reprinted by in that manner. Mm. And you had probably already seen the Amicus version before that. I would have seen. I had seen both versions before that. Right. Uh, most assuredly. Well, yeah, the, the same HBO here, yeah. version. Yeah, right. You're right. By the time those came out, you're right. I would have seen both versions. And yeah, John, it's actually mine were the the reprints they did that were around the same time, but I think that, that you remember they did more of the, the ones that were more just the comic size. Yeah, yes. I think it was Gladstone, maybe. Yes, Gladstone. I think when the Glad, because we were pretty much me and my older brother were getting like every one of those when those were coming out. Because again, I for years drooled over those hardcover sets, uh, just like they were like a hundred dollars. You know, I could never get. Oh yeah. And uh, and you know those hardcover collections, and I wanted so badly to read the EC comics, and so yeah, when they started reprinting them like that, I know why you're grinning because you're going to say I have them. I know. Go ahead and fucking <laughs> say it, John. Go say ahead it. and say it. I was you grinning because. Fucking- you if you have them, you got them bastard. when they came out. And you got... I was grinning because it's like, boy, am I going to sound like an asshole. <laughs> yes, I can see it. I can see it on your come, face. Come I on. did get, not all of them, certainly, yeah. but in college, uh, Tales from the Crypt and Vault mm-hmm. of Horror came yeah. in at this local comic book shop. Yeah. And I got a heck of a deal on yeah. them. So it wasn't like in college where I was too poor to buy 
five crystals. Yeah. <laughs> I can remember in the band that was in, we would pool our money to go to the copy store yeah. to run off 20 flyers for the show. <laughs> but I was able to get a pretty sweet deal cool. on those sets. So that's when I no. got them. Yeah, that's, yeah. So that's said that, yeah. So, so yeah. So with me, it would have been those comic size reprints that they came out when I, when I first read. So yeah, yeah. Really, yeah, read the story after seeing the two filmed. Yeah. Those comic, the reprints that you read them I and those are the best. They're very nice. Very well they're, they're, they're really yeah, nice. I picked a lot of those. It's really yeah. good. And, yeah. uh, I just recently uh, ran across a, a big stash of those as I was having to go through all of my <laughs> comics again here recently. And, uh, yeah, I've still got some of those regular yeah. comic book size, but the, the the larger versions that I originally read, I don't know where the hell those have gotten to. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I put mine on the shelf last night. <laughs> uh, of course he did. Never opened and pristine probably got him. You know, all we have to do is wait day. for his wife to get pissed at him, and we can yeah. just go, you know, if something's <laughs> missing from his collection. Yeah. Yeah, y'all, y'all have a fireplace with pokers around. We, we, yes, actually, yeah, you we might do. have to. Yeah, so you and might. poor Laura, she, you know, every <laughs> podcast I'm on, she gets a cameo at some point. But just the other night, I've gotten some new bookshelves put in at our house, mm-hmm. some unboxing books and putting them away. And and I pull out this. Maybe one of you guys remembers this book. It was a book you could get from the Scholastic little weekly reader handout called "Meet the Werewolf." Oh man, no, I'm and it's just a little book about werewolves that you could get. And I'm, um, and Laura's like, look at that. That looks brand new. And I said, let's just crack it open and see when I bought this. How old was I? Ten. Oh, my God. Wow. <laughs> and here I am earlier talking about taking my Aurora models and, like, making them fight each other until they were, like, breaking apart. You know, it's just, I kept nothing, you know. Nothing survives from my... He's vacuum sealing books in power at the age of ten. Oh, man. Oh, look, no dust has touched it. I made sure that not even flesh blemished the cover. Oh, God. Oh, man. Well, enough of your bullshit. <laughs> <sighs> Sorry. <laughs> know, when you started talking about the EC reprints, it's like, oh, I'm going to sound so <laughs> And you do. I you think do. I'm just going to lie and change my story. <laughs> and, and folks, you can hear John Hudson's own podcast, What I Own. It's, <laughs> it's, a, it's a daily podcast where he just it's, stands up in front of a bookshelf, a DVD shelf, yeah, or a Blu-ray yeah. shelf, a record shelf, a CD shelf, or just goes, oh, man, I also have this. <laughs> and after two episodes, you'll be screaming, fuck you, Hudson, as well. So. Well, I'll... I'll well, oh, well, and, that's his, and then there's his, his companion uh, podcast. is All the you know concerts I've been on the front row for. <laughs> <laughs> Why do we like this I asshole? don't know. I'm really Beats me. <laughs> Jesus and Christ. Of course, now I've got my, my poor wife has to deal with this all the time. Then a, a great story. When I was moving in, I've slowly moved into our house. We got married in April, mm-hmm. but I started moving things in before. So mm-hmm. the, the time we got married, all my stuff pretty much was there. Mm-hmm. So I'm putting my record collection on the shelf, and she's like thumbing through it with me and like mm-hmm. looking at all these Roll the Stones albums. Yeah. Right. And I'm showing her like the 3D Satanic Majesty. Yeah. So I've got this great collection of B sides called No Stone Unturned. Mm-hmm. And she's like, wow, these are really cool. You know, these are great. So we flipped through a few more, and I'm like, okay, now here's my six different six million dollar man story records <laughs> and she says can we go back to those the rolling rolling stones stones stones? <laughs> it's and like I, you can almost hear the needle off the like <laughs> you know the off like, <laughs> and now and now with the mention of the six million dollar man we've come, we've to, come we full circle exactly we have we have i would like to thank <laughs> troy and fuck you husband <laughs> 
coming on and doing another holiday horrors episode. <laughs> I guess we'll do another one next year. Next year, next year. Send us your suggestions for our uh, show next next year. And Actually, that's not a bad idea. That is, yeah. 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 yeah, what would you like to see us do on holiday horrors? You've got a whole year to let us know. So yeah, yeah, yeah. But do it, but do it soon so we can forget about it and discard yeah, right, your, yeah, yeah, never, completely yeah, forget exactly. about it <laughs> and do Silent Night, Deadly Night two. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which, by the way, I finally saw. And that movie sucks. <laughs> <laughs> so, folks, thank you very much. Remember, if you want to uh, to make fun of us for this episode, you may write us at thebloodypit at gmail.com, or you can, you can uh, d- poke fun at us over on the uh, Bloody Pit Facebook page. Uh, believe me, I pay attention to that because I never know what the hell somebody's going to say on that page. <laughs> also... Uh, remember the Nashy cast. We are going to hit the ground running in 2018 with a couple mm. of fresh episodes in January and February there. Hope you're around to hear those. And very soon, Mr. Hudson and I, if I can keep from strangling the son of a bitch, <laughs> we're going to sit down and do another Antonio Margariti episode. Uh, there's different things, lots of different things on the boil for the bloody pit in the new year. So, Thank you very much, Troy. Thank you. Thank you. Mr. Hudson, thank you. I guess thank you. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> now you're the new supervillain of the podcast world, or apparently. Yeah, I feel kind of bad. I was in a good mood when we started. <laughs> I'm glad you feel bad. Everybody <laughs> you hates you know, you know, You know how you can feel better? How would that be? Charity. Yeah. Just Un- give, give, give your friends some, some of that some stuff some of that's belongings. holding you yeah. back. <laughs> No. <laughs> no. People, thank you very yes. much for listening to this episode, and we will talk to you again soon. I'm Troy Gwynn. And I'm John Hudson. Bye now. Do you believe in Santa Claus and the stories you've been told? Does Santa really dress in red and live up where it's cold? Are Donner, Blitzen, and the rest the reindeer on his sleigh? Does it go flying in the sky with toys for Christmas Day? Does Santa know just who's been good and those who have been bad? And does he land on chimney tops with toys to make you glad? Do you believe in Santa Claus and do you think it's true that Santa really comes around with Christmas gifts for you? Santa Claus will come when you're asleep And fill up all your stockings with some things for you to keep And have you ever stayed up late and while you nod your head You think you catch a glimpse of him but you wake right up in bed 
Just how does Santa fit inside the chimneys that are small? You ask so many questions that I think you've asked them all. Well, you must stop your wondering. Don't ask your ma's and pa's. You see, the story's really true, for I am Santa Claus. See the story's really true, cause I am sad.